You're listening to The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since 1977. I saw a werewolf with a Chinese menu in his hand Walking through the streets of Soho in the rain was looking for the place called Lee Ho Fooks. Gonna get a big dish of beef chow mein. You better not get him in Little old lady got me related day last night All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the GGTMC. I'm your host, the Samurai. Across the border from me is my good pal, Big Willie. And across the ocean from me... <laughs> To my, yeah. to, uh, well, I'm trying to say what that would be. Let's still, I don't even want to mention a direction because I look like the worst Marco Polo ever. But uh, so, <laughs> I'll just say that it's our good friend Aaron Death Rattle Aaron. I guess we'll call him on the show. Uh, yes. uh, Editor in chief, in my opinion, of the uh, the GTMC <laughs> blog, and he also has the Death Rattle Thirteen blog. So, welcome aboard. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a long time coming, man. I've been busting yep. your balls for a while to get on, so it's it's good. It uh, worked out. It won't be the last time, but it's uh, good to get that first one out of the way. Yes, we. Yes. Yeah. All right. So uh, we are back for another week, and uh, we got uh, Aaron. Uh, you know, we we always let our guest pick a film, and uh, he hit us up with uh, the Howling too. So we thought it was a perfect opportunity to go ahead and do. Uh, a double deuce episode which is something we introduced i don't know about a year ago <laughs> and we haven't went back and done a double deuce episode in a while but this is our first one in a long time so we're gonna do the howling and the howling part two i think the howling's from 83 am i right about that 81 oh, 81 fuck man i'm old and uh howling two is i think that's 85 am i right yes okay good i got that one right at least it's funny uh, i love the howling and uh well that's spoiler alert for the review but who gives a fuck and uh, <laughs> I have some other interesting more uh, comments. Fuck, I don't even know what I'm talking about this morning, man. Fuck. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Anyway, uh, let's just get into what we've been watching then. <laughs> so everyone wants to go first. I defer. I got some coffee left. I think I need it. Aaron. All right. Just give me a second. I got to pull my list up. And officially he's been cut his pants down for the first time on the show. Nice. <laughs> oh, cool. I got it up. I got it up. I'm ready. All right. So the first thing I watched uh, was Rec Squared or Rec Two. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is my DVD pick last week. Um, yeah, it was all right. I mean, you know, you pretty much know what you're going to get into when you watch it. Um, I got like, have you guys seen the second one yet? Or I did, and I, you know, I didn't like how it. it I don't want to spoil it, but. You know what they kind of expand it and turn it into. I, I didn't. I didn't really like that, and I actually preferred the first one. I don't know what your thoughts are. I guess I'll find out here in a second. Yeah, I definitely prefer the first one. This one, um, like how they incorporated like the uh, the cameras and stuff, like strapped onto the helmets of the, the, oh, the SWAT, SWAT team. Mm-hmm. It, it kind of made it feel like a you know was it like first person shooter video game or whatever. Like yeah, you know. You see, like, the little arms sticking out, like, below the camera with the machine gun, like, shit, I don't know, like, 
But I kind of I kind of like the uh, the twist they put on the uh, the quote unquote zombies. I guess the direction they went they went in with it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think my oh, opinion, yeah, my opinion of it was it was just I think it was I think it was fatigue on my part. Like I think the film's okay. I just think I was fatigued with the whole concept already. I don't know, it, but you know yeah. that's because you know I'm not exactly the world's biggest. Zombie guy, anyway, and I like the first record. Yeah, it was, I thought it was good. Yeah, same here. So, but yeah, I thought it was okay. I mean, it, it wasn't a complete waste of time or anything. But uh, uh, the best part was probably seeing a certain someone you know show back up. I, I'm not going to mention who for obvious reasons, but mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, no, but, I agree uh, that was cool. Yeah, and then uh, you know the little twist with that character, I guess. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it was okay. Uh, uh, is sexist comedy. It's a, uh, it's like this French movie from, uh, gosh, I don't know, I forget what year it came out. But um, have you guys heard of that one or seen that one? Sexist comedy. I know. No, I haven't. No, I haven't either. Actually. Yeah, it's not like a super popular movie. Um, I only watched it because uh, this actress named Roxanne Mesquita is in it. She was the, the chick from Rubber, the one that the tire was like kind of stalking. Ah, okay, okay. And she was in Shaitan with uh, Vincent Cassell. Ah, okay. She played like his niece or whatever. But um, yeah, it was all right. I mean, it's kind of like a, it's not a you know straightforward comedy. It's a, it's kind of a dramedy, I guess. It's about this. Um, it kind of focuses on this female film director, uh, and it kind of builds up to like this big sex scene she wants to film for a movie. Mm-hmm. The problem is, like, the actor and the actress, like, don't get along at all. And the actor in the movie is, like, a total, like, you know, baby, I guess. You know, <laughs> there's a scene in there where he's, like, complaining about having to take his socks off in a, in a scene or whatever. <laughs> and it's really, st- it's really stupid. Like, he's like, oh, I don't want to take my socks off. I think I might die. <laughs> But um, if you want to look at it, like, you know, the meta aspects of it, I guess it's pretty interesting um, because, you know, when when they're not shooting the film, the director's off with, like, her crew members, like, the people she confides in. And she's making, uh, like, comments about the actors and, like, how the director, like, rules everything and blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of like the director speaking through this character. I don't know, maybe. Maybe I'm just looking too deeply into it. But Oh, that's good you got from man. That's, there has to be some merit in that, for sure. She's in, uh, she's in Greg Araki's yeah, new film, Kaboom. She's in that, too. What's that? She's in uh, Greg oh, Araki's movie. Yeah. Yeah, she's in Kaboom. She was in Fat Girl. Oh, yeah, that's where I know her from. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Have you seen Kaboom? I've, no, I have not. I, you know, I, I like some of Iraqi's stuff, and I really, really, really love Mysterious Skin, but Kaboom looked, I don't know, man, it was a tiff last year, and I just thought, wow, this doesn't look very good, but I don't know, I might check it out one day. Yeah, have you seen Have you seen it, Rick? I have not seen Kaboom. I've seen uh, Mysterious Skin. I've seen, uh, I think, another one he did. Uh, I like him. I do not love him as a filmmaker, so it's kind of like, you know. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. I mean, it, it was different for me watching it because, you know, I don't really watch Greg Araki's films. I mean, I'm aware of him and, you know, the type of filmmaker he is, I guess. The only f- other film besides Kaboom that I saw was The Doom Generation, which was, like, years ago. Yeah, it was good. 
at the end of this time, you know, for what it was. It hit me at the right age. I was in high school, and it was kind of confrontational, angry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, Kaboom's pretty interesting, you know, not to get too off-topic from what I've been watching this week, but it's, like, really all over the place. It's, like, you know... I don't know. You guys should just check it out, though. It's worth checking out. Okay. No, then I will then, because I was already... Yeah, there's, like, there's like slasher elements in it, and, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's just all over the place. <laughs> okay, good. But, um, anyway, uh, what else did I watch? Uh, Someone Behind the Door, the Charles Bronson movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Have you guys seen that one? No. I have. I have seen it, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it was uh, it was really interesting. We had uh, me, Zom, and uh, Mike Malloy. We had like a little conversation about this on Facebook because I posted something about it. And uh, I'll just say it's a real departure for Bronson. You know, I'm so used to seeing him play like the the silent but deadly antihero, like you know, <laughs> just kills shitload of people. But in this movie, he plays uh, an amnesiac and. Uh, Anthony Perkins plays a doctor who kind of like takes Bronson's character into his house, uh, seemingly to like examine him, you know, just, I don't know, whatever. But then it turns into something else, like uh, Perkins has ulterior motives and he wants to use Bronson for something, like take advantage of his memory loss. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I can't really talk too much about it without spoiling anything, but um. There is one scene I want to talk about. It, it kind of ruins like a, a little surprise, but it's not a spoiler per se. Uh -huh. But um, Jill Ireland's in it, and um, oh, I know <laughs> I, you commented on this, and I thought that was pretty funny. And it's fucking. It was so fucking surreal to watch. Basically, um, Charles Bronson rapes uh, Jill Jill Ireland in the movie, <laughs> and it's so weird. You know, you're used to seeing them like in films. They're like, you know. They're kind of like, you know, their married life carries, on, carries over into some of their films that are like, you know, a couple or whatever. And like, I don't know, Violent City, I guess, and other films like that. But in this one, he's like, he straight up fucking like tackles her, like just totally manhandles her, like rips her clothes off. And it's so funny because like, it's weird. Like it's a, it's a flashback scene, like kind of edited over like, what's happening in real time and in the flashback scene like charles bronson's chasing jill ireland on a beach but because of the um like the bad print of the dvd like it's kind of dark you know so you just see their silhouettes and it, it looks like a silverback gorilla like chasing <laughs> bambi or something <laughs> nice thing to make and straight just tackles her and like you know they of, it's it's they need to make a min they need to make a mentos commercial out of that i guess yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but um, yeah, that's really all there is to say about it. I was going to write a re review for the blog. I might post it next week. I just got to touch it up a little bit. But yeah, I liked it. It was, if anything, it was you know a nice little oddity in uh, Bronson's filmography, I guess. You know. Yeah, yeah. No, that's uh, I have to look into that one. That's that sounds tasty. Yeah. Um, and then other than that, I watched a couple of shark movies. Uh, I guess I should let the cat out of the bag. Uh, not this week, but next week. I'm going to be doing Shark Week on my blog. So nice, oh, nice. <laughs> kind of in conjunction with the the whole Discovery Channel bullshit, you know. So. <laughs> uh, I'm going to re review a bunch of shark movies, and I'm kind of stockpiling them right now, just that so I can have a bunch of 
Um, I rewatched Jaws, uh, Deep Blue Sea. Nice. And then I watched this uh, shark movie I've never seen before called 12 Days of Terror. I've never heard of that. I yeah, have, it's, it's, I, I've heard of that, oh, but I've, ne- I've never seen it. I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. Yeah, it's like this really like cheap, low-budget-looking, uh, made-for-TV shark movie. It's a period piece set like uh, back in the 30s, I think, in uh, New Jersey, like the Jersey Shore. Wow. And it's, it's based on the same uh, true story that apparently inspired Jaws, I guess. Okay. So there's some parallels there, but... Um, yeah, I, I actually like 12 Days of Terror. Like, I was surprised, like, you know, when you turn it on and look at it, you know, if you kind of just jump into it, it looks like a really bad, like, sci-fi original type of film or something. Because, <laughs> you know, just, just how those movies look, you know, there's, like, really bright lighting, you know, right. CGI, sharks and shit. But, yeah, it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's about it. I've been watching... Uh, I got back into Supernatural. I've been trying to catch up on all the all the seasons, so uh, I watched like a good portion of season four. Uh. So that took a bun- took up a bunch of my movie watching time. Yeah, they they think you know TV does that occasionally. Yeah, <laughs> that's about it. All right, Large William. Uh, what did I get into this week? Um. First one I watched was a documentary I've been meaning to see since I saw the trailer on Apple probably two or three years ago. It was Once in a Lifetime, the extraordinary story of the New York Cosmos. Oh, yeah. It's, uh, it's when Pele came over here and and um, and what's his name? Uh, fuck, Claudio. The Italian. I can't remember his name now. Anyway, and also German, the uh, great German, what's his name? Franz Beckenbauer. So when they came over and, and uh, Studio 54 Days and, and it's about the rise and fall of soccer in, uh, in the States. It was good, not great, uh, but I, I did enjoy it, certainly. Uh, then I decided to mix things up and watch, uh, rewatch an old Piper favorite, Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yes. And, uh, it, it's, it's fun, man. I, I don't know. I really, I, I was in the mood for it, so I, uh, I dug it. You know, it felt to me like, like a not as aggressively stupid uh, trauma film. You know, it's 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 got some funny funny bits with these fucking frog people and frogs kind of in, with wigs and shit. It, you know, it was fun, man. And Bid Piper's good, and uh, what's her name, uh, Sandal Bergman's in it, and yes. you know, William Smith's in it. And it's it's fun. Um, <laughs> then when I watched, I think Toronto Scott <clears throat> watches one recently because it was on TCM Underground Cops and Robbers. Um, I don't know, man. I didn't really feel it. It's about two New York cops who are going to rip off Wall Street. And just, I don't know, it was kind of uneven in tone, so I didn't really get into it too much. Um, then I got into one that was <clears throat> the biggest blind spot for me, I think, in terms of one of my favorite filmmakers. One of our good friends, Ben, was kind enough to send me uh, the DVD because he upgraded when the Criterion was just released a few weeks ago, and that's Paths of, uh, Paths of Glory. Ah, yes. Really good film, man. Really good film. I, I'm, I know I'm stating the obvious, but uh, Kirk Douglas is fantastic. There's some some great really tense scenes uh ralph meeker's fantastic the whole cast is uniformly rock solid in this one uh it's it's just a great anti-war film when i think at the time a lot of not a lot of anti-war films were coming out you know early 50s so uh you know as always kubrick delivers um then i watched uh then my sam fuller month rolled on and i watched naked kiss um, it was all right, man. You know, Fuller, I think the more I go along, the more I get the sense that I'm going to appreciate Fuller 
father's influence and his intentions as a filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, and how progressive he was socially versus how much I enjoy his stuff. Yep. Uh, it was it was good. There was some great stuff in it. There was some real great highs, and I felt like there was some kind of some drag ass kind of lows and and some clumsy stuff again in this one. But some some of the high spots were fantastic. And I have to say, uh, then I rewatched the only Fuller I have seen before, and that's White Dog, which I know probably most of our listeners, uh, if they've seen Fuller and are not much Fuller, that's the one they've seen. So yeah, yeah I think that's the only Fuller movie I've seen. Yeah, and it's it's a cool one, man. Paul Winfield, I think, is perfectly cast. You know, he gives that character a lot of humanity. Um, it's a good film, you know. Uh, McNichol doesn't look as hot as she did in pirate movie, but that's okay. Uh, you know, it was good though, man. You know, I think it's again, it's an example of Fuller uh, taking a B picture and putting in a lot of, of social commentary. So, you know, it was good. And then uh, the last, lastly, in HD of all things, my wife and I were just really tired. We didn't want to discuss what to watch, so we were scrolling through the TV and we saw Revenge of the Nerds two. Uh, Nerds in Paradise was on, so. <laughs> We uh, we kept that on, and it's very 80s, and, and it's 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 comfort food. You know, we've both seen it a bunch, but uh, but it's always enjoyable. So that's it, man. Nice. I, I like uh, I like the yeah I like the Revenge of the Nerds too, man. I like that one. Me too. <laughs> it's a good one, man. Yeah, in HD, no less though. That's I haven't seen it in HD. So yeah, I mean, it's it, it doesn't look like uh, <laughs> like a Powell Pressburger restoration or anything, but you know, it it, it looks good. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's as good as it's gonna look, I guess. Yeah, HD will do that. Yeah. Um, okay, so I've been off a week, uh, so you know I watched uh, the movies for the show last week, which I thought I was going to be on, but I unfortunately could not make it on to. Uh, but Tony Arzenta and The Big Heat, I watched both of those. Uh, I guess I can just go ahead and give my evaluations of them. Uh, I'll just give my scores. My thoughts on Arzenta was right on par with Will's. I believe it was 7.75, right? So and uh, we both agreed on that one completely, and I can't remember what Bri gave it. Uh, off top, seven point two five. There we go. So we're all in. But the big heat I liked more than you guys. I gave it like a half a half a point higher, like eight point five and stuff. Love that film. So, uh, yeah, good stuff. And I'll, then I'll, then I jumped into some modern Hollywood cheese. Uh, we often, large William and I often talk off air about how excited we get sometimes to put a Blu-ray in. <laughs> Even when it even when it's a movie that we know it's probably going to be you know total crap, we just you know it's it's just it's you know it's that Corvette watching syndrome. It's like you know you get this really nice automobile and you just want to look at it, you know, and and that, that's the way Blu-rays are sometimes. And so I got Tron Legacy in the mail, and I had no hopes for Tron Legacy whatsoever. I like the first fifty minutes of it a lot. Uh, I really think it gets lost in itself uh, on the back end, and it's overlong a movie, but uh, yeah. It is really, really pretty uh, to look at on Blu-ray. I mean, it was really gorgeous. I was kind of, I was telling Will, and I think I was telling Bri that uh, I was kind of hypnotized by the the soundtrack, which is really, really good. And easily, if you was going to review that, would probably be the MVT of the film because the the soundtrack really sets up the atmosphere of the movie. And I think it's why I like the first fifty minutes because I think the first fifty minutes is almost all set up, uh, and which is weird. And then like the the rest of it's all payoff, but the problem is is that I didn't get into the payoff as much as I got into the setup. So, uh, but no, it's really gorgeous, and uh, you know, I, re- I enjoyed the movie. Didn't think it was awful. That's that's the good news. I thought it was going to be terrible, so <laughs> had that going for it. Um, I then uh, jumped into something equally as uh, anticipated, and that would be uh, Brian Bosworth and Spill, also known as Virus. Uh, I think virus is the Canadian name because I'm looking at the VHS on my shelf here. <laughs> yes, uh, this movie's not very good, but it is interesting that uh, 
Byron Bosworth plays a CIA. Uh, he protects the president, uh, but he's also they make sure to mention that he also has a degree in geology. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like you know they need they need this person to go into this other part of town where there's some environmental problems. So they're like, wait a minute, our guy he has a geology degree. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this is the worst setup ever you know it's like you know it's like really bad uh really bad setup but it, it's 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 i would probably avoid it unless you're like a bosworth completist because it's it's kind of boring actually that's what i've heard man i haven't seen it yet for those very reasons it sat on the shelf and i've looked at his aviator wearing mug on the, the yeah. spine of the case he's fun in it uh because there's some bad acting moments and some stuff like that some really bad acting moments but uh the problem is the cast around him is really, really awful, and that's that really, really hurts the movie. I think, and it, not that it was supposed to be, it was going to be, you know, the greatest movie ever made anyway. But I mean, Jesus, you know, it's the really bad acting around it. Uh, I then jumped into uh, Rad the Pink Horse, which has a great, uh, very seductive title there. Um, Certainly does. <laughs> you can't help but say it. I mean, if you see the movie, you know what it means. But if you, so when you say it, it sounds like some kind of fucking porn from the seventies. Sounds like the baloney pony. Yeah, right. The pink horse. But uh, this is a noir uh, directed by Robert Montgomery, uh, a father of bewitched uh, Elizabeth Montgomery. Uh, he made a few films and stuff. Hey, this is a good noir. If you haven't, if you really want to get into some other good noirs, this is really good. The acting's a bit stiff, as it can be from this period. And uh, also, there's some serious uh, uh, racial uh, stereotypes <laughs> with uh, some uh, American actors playing Mexicans, uh, which is oh, yeah. always uh, <laughs> nice and offensive. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, that's that's interesting. But uh, you know, it, it, of its time, it's just fine. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, it's not as good. It's not as classic as like the Big Heat or something like that. But it's very solid, like B noir, and uh, really good movie though. You definitely look into it. Um. I then watched a movie called Playing Columbine, which is a, a documentary. It's on Netflix Instant Watch in the States. I don't know if it's on the one in uh, the good old uh, Great White North. It might be. Take a look. It might be. I don't know. Anyway, it's about this guy who made uh, a game based on the Columbine school massacre. Uh, so he you know, took this software and he made this game and he put it out there for free. His whole logic was to get people to talk about it because where he's from, and uh, he's from Colorado, uh, people just shut down. Nobody wanted to talk about it anymore. And uh, he feels like he was headed in the same way these kids were heading. So he feels like he kind of worked out therapeutically himself through this game and uh, and blah, blah, blah. And, I mean, there's, there's a lot more to it than that. I can't even go into how kind of deep and thorough this film is in a way uh, on the show without giving it a full review. So I'm not going to do that. But I will say that it, it makes you think a lot about who the real who the real bad people are is it the people who you know i mean it is truly look i mean making a game on the combat massacre is it tasteless yes it's very tasteless is it uh is it wrong i don't know about that i mean i think you can make uh i, I believe you can make anything out of anything uh if you don't like it that's fine you have that choice but i still don't believe anybody should shut anybody down for making something and uh it's interesting the 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 the, the way the media portrays him the way the media portrays the Columbine chain when you look back on it and stuff you think wow who's the real bad guy here is it the people that talk about it the people that write songs about stuff make jokes about stuff or is it the media who makes these people you know darker than what they actually really are and tries to ruin their lives essentially so you know once again the the media and the coverage of things cuz you know I, i'm a big supporter of not watching anything to cover anything i don't watch any news stories i don't watch any like uh 
like I'm a big sports guy, but I hate all coverage of games before the game starts. I hate all of that stuff because I just think well, this is pointless. What, what, you're, we're just going to talk about what you think. I don't care what you think, Terry Bradshaw. So you know, it's just <laughs> one of those things. So it's just you know, media's uh, overtaken of everything. So it's very interesting. Definitely, definitely a high recommend from me. And last but not least, I watched Insidious. Oh, now I have to, I'll have to say this about Insidious. You know, this is a very it's a it's a very hard in a lot of ways PG thirteen. I'm kind of surprised at uh, how much you can get away with in a PG thirteen film nowadays. It's not like a gore film, but this is a pretty. There's moments in this film that are pretty fucking intense. <laughs> and uh, have you seen it, Aaron? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah, okay. I know Will hasn't seen it yet, so I was going to see if anybody. Saw. I mean, I just thought there was moments of this that. Uh, it was really intense, man. I watched it by myself with the lights out, you know. I was eating a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, one of my favorite delicacies in all of life. And, uh, Amen. And I just, uh, I mean, I, I really got, ca- I, especially like the first hour and 20 minutes of this film, I really, really got caught up in it. Yeah. And it was really, really intense, you know, with the lights out, the surround sound blasting, you know. I was like, fuck me, man. This movie's really getting to me a little bit, you know. I do believe, like uh, Miles and some other friends of our show have talked about, it really does. When it when when the shoes come unlaced on this film, I mean, they really come unlaced. Yeah. But uh, I mean, they really they fall off, man. It's like a pair of shell toe Adidas from the Run DMC yeah, days. Man. That tongue just is pushing out, and they flop off. But up until that point, it's pretty intense, and I have to admit, given the parameters that uh, they're working in, I was pretty impressed with some of it. You know, I mean. It, I'd give it like a 7, a 10. I mean, it was pretty impressive for what it is. I mean, I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I was thinking, you know, I got a boy now, and I was thinking, you know, would I ever let him sit down and watch this? I was like, well, I'd definitely make sure he's in a teenager for it because this thing's pretty intense. It probably would have scared the shit out of me when I was like 8 years old. So there were some pretty intense moments. So it's, it's a recommend to check it out. I'd like to see what you think sometime, William. Yeah. I will. And I can't... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm glad you like it because, you know, like there's there's a lot of people hating on it for some reason. I don't really understand like where where all the venom comes from. You know, I I guess it's because it's because of the direction. You know, the ending goes. But yeah, well, I, I mean, know, to me that that wasn't enough to like take away from the rest of the movie. You know. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way I feel too. Because I mean, that's why I gave it a seven. Because I think the majority of the film is good, and I think a lot of the the kind of venom comes from it's the saw guys, right? I mean. It, yeah, I mean, come on, you know, let that go. They, they, you know, that is what it is. I mean, you know. Oh man, horror fans sometimes are just—they're <clears throat> too fickle, man. Like they want—they suck and blow. They want original material, and then they shit on original material. And it's just exactly that's one of the things that bothered me about Insidious. You know, people bitch about remakes and then uh, or sequels or whatever. Like, Scream or Insidious comes out, and then everybody shits on that too. So you know, I don't know. <laughs> It's like yeah, you know you, you can't you can't win. And I saw, but I, I do feel like you know it's it's a well made film, and it's a, it's probably the best film those two guys have actually made. So you know, say what you want to say about that, but it's a it's probably the best thing they've done. So there we go. All right, and other than the movies for the show, that's all I watched, man. I haven't been doing a whole lot else except raising a boy who's uh, walking, talking, uh, haircutting, haircutting. He's he's getting around town, man. He's jeez. Uh, He's a, he's a lot, a lot, a lot of work. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, you know, it's been a lot of fun. So, All right, so that is all we watched. We are going to take a short break, and uh, when we come back, we'll talk, uh, well, we'll talk about our films. We'll talk about The Howling first, uh, so we'll be back right after this. 
Are you looking for a way to connect with people who like the things that you like? Whether it's music, movies, TV, or whatever you're into, head on over to the palaver.com forums. <clears throat> yes, yes, but, but forums and message boards are elitist and archaic. Well, yeah, maybe if you're an asshole. Palaver.com is home to all your favorite podcasts. So why not head over there now? Start talking about all the things you want to talk about. That's palaver.com. P-A-L-A-V-R.com. Uh, that song not so much werewolf inspired but just is howling in the title so there you go <laughs> yeah it works nice. man any chance to get the Ramones then it's good so oh yeah, yeah especially that one because that's like one of those songs like I don't know if I ever had a chance to get it on the show ever so <laughs> okay alright so uh, we are back we're going to talk about the howling I guess I'll go ahead and synopsize this one let Will take the lead on this one since uh, I kind of picked it to make it a double deuce episode so um, okay so the howling is from 1981 directed by one Joe Dante and uh, let's see what they got here for a plot synopsis. After a bizarre and near-fatal encounter with a serial killer, a newswoman is sent to a rehabilitation center whose inhabitants may not be what they seem. So uh, there you go. That's the basic plot synopsis to the howling. This, uh, well, I don't think me and you've ever talked uh, about really in-depth about any Joe Dante film, so this ought to be interesting. So Yeah, well, it, it should. I mean... I like Dante quite a bit. I don't think I like him as much as you because you adore him, but I do like him. And <clears throat> I think during my formative years, I think all three of our formative years as, as film fans, as, as uh, <clears throat> boys and teenagers, Dante played a big part in that. So, um, yeah, yeah, no, yeah arguably, Dante's. depending on your taste in genres, Dante was probably <clears throat> more important to you as a film fan. I'm talking to the general consensus of everybody listening here. Mm-hmm. He may have been more important to some people than like uh, Spielberg and those guys because you know he was more into the, the horror realm as opposed to those guys who you know he's all he's he's part of that group but he never really he never really reached those highs I don't think except maybe for I guess Gremlins I guess for as far as financial success. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure, and I think too the fact that he made stuff that was accessible to us but still contained some kind of splattery, gooey elements, you know, is really what kind of. Open us up, I think, to a lot of stuff later on in life. So. Yeah, he, may be, he may be kind of responsible for the PG-13 rating in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I, I remember going back and watching, I think I may have said this at the time, but and I want to make it a, an annual Christmas uh, thing, uh, watching Gremlins with my nephews a couple years ago. Nice. And I do remember how gooey it was like when they put the fucking Gremlin in the blender. and 
you know. It's funny so. you mention that because I know in Chinstroker versus Punter, they're always arguing if it's a holiday film or not, Gremlins. It is. It totally is. <laughs> totally. And listen, who doesn't want the gift that is Phoebe Cates that time of year, man? Yeah. That's a, that's a stone cold fox if there ever was one. True. So, so is Zach Elligan. I don't know what that means, but I, you know. <laughs> Well, that, his name was Billy in that, and that was you know that was my name. So it nice. was always cool that uh, I felt the kinship with Zach Galligan. Um, but anyway, enough Galligan talk. Let's get into uh, the Howling. Um, Dante managed to put together uh, a pretty interesting cast for the film, and also even more so a very competent crew in yep. making this film. Yep. Um, the thing that jumps out at me, John Sayles, very celebrated uh, director and writer, mm-hmm. wrote the film. Um, Pino Dinaggio does the score for the film, uh, which is a bit of a mixed bag, but you know, it's, <laughs> well, uh, it's a typical of Pino Dinaggio. I mean, sometimes he hits it right on the head and then sometimes he's a little all over the map. So, yeah. Um, and you know, he's got a lot of, a lot of cameos from directors in this, which I only, I only managed to spot a couple of them. Sadly, I didn't spot Meshach Taylor in this. I know he, it says he's in this, but I didn't see him anywhere. <laughs> He plays one of the cops in the the wiretapping room. He plays the uh, the black cop with the mustache. Obviously, obviously oh. he plays the black cop. I don't know why I even said that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so awful of me. I'm, yeah. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm, I am glad you pointed out because there was a Samoan guy there. It was a roll of the dice, which one he was, <laughs> yeah. man. But, uh, <laughs> awesome. But no, but I mean, uh, Phil Kaplan, I think Phil Kaplan's in this. Uh, John Sales, I, I, the only, only two recogn- I recognized. You know, I'll get into it when I when I get to my notes. I'm getting ahead of myself. So The Howling. Um, the film starts, and of course, seeing the Avco Embassy logo is always great. You know, you see it in front of the, a lot of the Carpenter films. So yep. it's always cool to see a lot of these old logos we don't see anymore. Um, and it should be said, you know, The Howling series is one that mixed bag as it is it does have at least in my opinion i enjoy the the first three for different reasons mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and then after that they really go off the rails but i mean this is a a, a film that spawned five sequels <laughs> yeah five sequels I mean, is, that's, that's is there incredible. five or is there six i don't even know how many there are to be honest well there's with. six films but five sequels yeah oh, okay yeah, it's crazy man um and I love that it opens up with this kind of ominous, uh, staticky TV thing with the voiceover in it. It sounds like it's 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 cross-cutting between different feeds or or different stuff, and it's got a really eerie feeling to open up the film. And you know what I was thinking as I was watching this, I guess, as an aside, is that you couldn't really open with that anymore because you don't get that sort of um, signal interference anymore with this digital stuff. You just get like a frozen picture. So yeah, it's a bit, that's a bit sad. We've got, that's gone the way of uh, the dodo bird. But um, and one of the things early on, you know, Dante's an Italian American. The film, when it's shot in the city, to me, I don't know if Pino was whispering in his ear, but uh, it feels very Italian, very European to me. In in a lot of the cityscape stuff, like the neon and the marquees, and it's really overlit uh, like the stuff in the peep show and stuff and it, it really has a really great stylish feel early on yeah you know that's really strange when i think about it i even made it my note of it my notes that in some ways the howling might be joe dante's most stylish movie because he's he's typically a very uh static shot kind of director mm-hmm. and uh it's really funny going back and looking at this again i haven't watched this movie in like five plus years oh me too that there's there's so much style and especially in the opening and uh-huh. uh, and of course the scenes involving you know werewolves and things, but yeah, no, I, I totally get a. I mean, some of that stuff 
in the sleazy part of the city, which is it's it's, it's reminiscent of like uh you know like like Travis Bickle driving around and stuff. Hardcore, you know, it's the L.A. sleaze. It's it's really great. Yeah. And you know, it almost reminds me because it's Dinaggio again. It almost reminds me like almost like the first third of this film was directed by De Palma. Yeah, it's it's really it's really weird. Uh, I just I, I just couldn't quite place why that of all things that that section has so much style and like Dante is he's not really known for that to me he's more known for just making these entertaining films that are kind of you know steeped in nostalgia and things like that even though this one does have moments of that too because you get a lot of he he manages somehow some way to still work in a lot of werewolf uh like, like a lot of werewolf in jokes from other movies and like oh, yeah. a lot of clips of involving werewolves and things like that yeah, yeah. that's sorry Aaron go ahead dude Oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, kind of touch on the Italian atmosphere, I guess, you talked about. I kind of got that, too. And now that you mention it, I do kind of see some, uh, you know, De Palma, like, in that first part of the film, just because of, you know, the ca- like the playful camera movements and plus Donaggio's score. Like, the music, I don't know, like, you guys kind of talked about it earlier, but overall, it's like a very dreamlike score, you know, like... Mm-hmm. It helps create like this, you know, really weird, like surreal mood. At times, the music is like kind of goblin esque. Other times, it's like old school Universal. Yep. <laughs> um, and in certain parts, it's like really overwhelming. Like, is you know? Yeah. <laughs> totally, man. Totally, Jerry Goldsmith, fucking. Yeah, but I definitely get that Italian vibe. You, you know, you kind of brought up. Yeah, and it's funny, you know, to look at a film like that now, like we all do through critical eyes, because I don't know if we would have picked that up you know, 10 years ago or whatever, if you were watching it. But uh, I thought that was interesting. And I, and I got to say, being a guy that, that, you know, really gets a boner for style, an Italian style at that, um, in looking at this, when they get to the compound and stuff, I felt a lot, it was a little more by the numbers. And, and I know that's where a lot more of the fantastical stuff happens. But but I like a lot. I, I almost wish the film had have taken place solely in the city and had maintained that style because it would have really bumped my score up. Not to say I don't like the film. I, I do like the film. But I think it gets a little more conventional in a lot of ways uh, when they do get to the compound. So, yeah. just as an aside. But and speaking of boners for style, uh, how about <laughs> how about Bill with the killer stash white button-up sweater combo early on, dude? <laughs> that that amazing white sweater. It's so awesome. It has wooden buttons on it. Oh yeah. There there's like three. <laughs> Three buttons in the front, and then for some strange reason, because it's one of these fancy sweaters where you can unbutton the gigantic turtleneck collar. Yeah, it's it, got like a collar that's almost like a blanket on the, almost like a cape. It's buttoned to the shoulders. Like a half cape. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. He has to hold it down, you know, it's just, it's out of control. Well, you know what, I'll be looking for uh, in vintage stores leading up to Horror Hound. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Hey, speaking of which, man, Aaron, do you think you're going to be able to make the trip, man? Uh, You know, I... I haven't even looked into it yet, like, as far as, like, pricing tickets and stuff. Um, right, right. <clears throat> my, Jeep, my Jeep just took a shit and died oh, again, so oh, that's oh, going to set me back a few hundred, but Ouch. I don't know, maybe. I'm definitely going to look into it. If anything, it's going to be, like, a last-minute thing, you know, with me, right. so. Well, if you can, you have a place to stay for free, man. Yep. Sweet. So me and Vish, uh, it's just confirmed Vish is coming back, so you can just nice. me and Vish if, uh, if you need to, so. Um, but yeah, back on uh, the howling. So yeah, Corman in the phone booth. I thought it was him, but uh, sure enough, I did confirm it was. Yeah, and, and that's a perfect example of Joe Dante and his in jokes. He manages mm-hmm. to get Corman in the movie, which that's nothing original. But a lot of directors like to use people that they admire or other directors or people they work for. But what he does is he makes sure to make an in joke there and show Roger Corman coming into a phone booth and looking for a quarter that was left. <laughs> 
because yes, he's notoriously right. cheap. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. That was fantastic. Um, I love, love, love the scene with the peep show and the tension that they've built up. And they let us know that, that D. Wallace, you know, is in danger here. I mean, we know as, as film fans that she's not going to die, obviously, but, but it's still a tense moment. And it's fantastic because she's in this booth and it becomes that thing where you start to want to reach out around you to make sure there's nothing around you. And uh, Eddie Quist comes up behind her and, you know, because the light from the, the camera projecting the, uh, the, 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 the roughy onto the screen, we can't really make him out and you're trying to make him out. And it, it's a really great scene, man. And it's like, uh, like the one in cruising or just any of those scenes. It just, it's a fantastic scene that I, I again, I quite like. And it's, it's another reason why I wish the city stuff had been uh, more prominent in the film. Yeah, how do you guys uh, feel about Dee Wallace? I, I quite like her. I think she always adds a humanity and then a like a sort of warmth to a lot of the genre films she did at the time. Yeah, I mean, yeah. think about same her. here. I like her. You know, you, you think about her career. I mean, you think about how huge at one point in time she kind of was. She was in some really big movies. Of course, E.T. probably being the biggest one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she just kind of, you know, she just kind of, in a lot of ways, just I don't know what happened. I don't know if she disappeared or she just she's just one of those. I mean, she was in Cujo and some other stuff, but she decided went to TV and stuff. And she's an interesting person. I, sometimes I love her, and sometimes I hate her. Hate her? That's a strong word for the D, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, in some movies, man, she just I think she goes a little too far. But she's very method. What happened? Who was the mother in? You have to forgive me. I don't remember now. Off the top of my head. Who was the mother in Poltergeist? It wasn't D, was it? No, that was Joe Beth Williams. Oh right, right. She would have been good in because uh, she'd worked with Spielberg. Obviously, she would have been good in Poltergeist. But uh, loving the Craig T. But uh, <laughs> nice, you know. nice. Um, I, I like you know. This is a time when films didn't emphasize glamour and kind of. Uh, synthetic kind of glamour as much as it does nowadays gloss I guess and the the set design was really good like Eddie's apartment in this it, you know a lot of times when you see films man the, the apartments look made up but I just I love you know this is the time when it was a little bit grittier and, and things just they look more organic I think in films yeah I also like that the, that's one way to avoid like you know, having a lot of backstory or something is that the, you know you could if you do a good proper set design you can uh, tell a lot of backstory without actually having to shoot it Oh, absolutely. Because you get everything you need right there in this quick kind of bite-sized uh, newspaper clipping, picture, drawing, uh, you know, po- nude poster. I mean, <laughs> These are, it's all there. By the way, I have to admit that Eddie's quite the artist. Yeah, he is. <laughs> He's really He's and, quite- <laughs> and I have to say, he reminds me, Picardo, when they reveal him, he reminds me of Tobias Funke with better hair. <laughs> So, nice, nice. Even my, even my wife thought that. But, uh, yeah, so we get to the compound, and uh, we didn't actually really go into the cast too much, but, you know, it is a great cast. Everyone from Slim Pickens to John Carradine, again, which shows uh, Dante's love of genre films. But, uh, yeah, I mean, first sleeveless vests, belted three-quarter length sweaters with wooden canes. I mean, everyone, everyone's in it to win it in this one when it comes oh, yeah. to sartorial choices. Everybody but Slim Pickens, who obviously had about a size... About three sizes too small sheriff shirt on. Yeah, it must have been from a film he did in the 60s, man. Yeah. He's you know, one of them guys who can't get past the fact that he's grown a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. He, he thinks the, the shirt's shrunk. 
There's something about Slim Pickens on camera. I don't know what it is. I don't think he's a great actor, but he just has this natural ability on camera to be likable. Uh-huh. I don't know what that is. And he's very few actors like that and stuff. And, but I really, I really like him. And of course, the opposite of Kevin McCarthy, he uh, he has this ability to be like one of the most unlikable people. He's like the one that, I met him before before he passed away. I met him. He's like one of the nicest guys you could ever meet. One of the oh, nicest wow. men. And uh, just, a, just a generally great guy. Actually, first time I ever talked to him, we were both urinating uh, at a uh, at a convention. I was standing at a stand-up urinal, and I was going to the bathroom, and here's Kevin McCarthy stands up next to me, you know? So, I was going to say, I'm the same woman, but <laughs> <laughs> you clarified that it was at a urinal, so. No, that was me and Bob Picardo, but either oh, way. Right. <laughs> yeah, he puts the pissed in quest. Yeah, I, was like, um, I was like, come on, Eddie. <laughs> But no, uh, uh, but Kevin was, and he he just started having a conversation with me at the urinal, man. Just the nicest guy. I mean, I know some people might think it's kind of creepy, but he was like, hey, how you doing today? Nice day outside, blah, blah, blah. I mean, just just the most nice guy, man. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Because, yeah, he he, he can play a good douchebag. It's nice to see that he was uh, was a good guy. He can play a great douchebag. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Sales turns up as the the, uh, mortician. He was good in a small role. Yeah. Dick Miller, the you know what's funny, man. I think I've said this to you, Sam. I don't know if you agree with this, Aaron. I because Dick Miller's in so many Dante films. Whenever I see pictures of those two, sometimes like I think they could pass for brothers, and I'll mistake. <laughs> in fact, when it, it happened again last night, man, when when Dick Miller showed up, I was going to go to my wife, and that's the guy that directed the film. And then it went on for a second. Oh no, that's the guy that's in the guy's films that directed these films a lot. So yes. I always mix those two up, man. <laughs> I don't know why. Well, they they, they do have some similarities. Yeah, so, but uh, anyway, so Dick Miller's working in this bookstore, and it's a great bookstore. It's got one of those sliding ladders so he can go up and down the shelves, and that's another thing that, that is kind of fading into obscurity as as we get further and further into the digital age. Yes, indeed. It's uh, it's too bad, man. There's something about bookstores and, you, you know, video stores and stuff like that that, you know, it's unfortunate, but, uh, you know, that's the way it goes, I guess. Uh, Forced Ackerman's in that bookstore, I think, fucking out with some... Uh, <laughs> Tarot cards or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so good old Forrest. Um, another thing that Dante does well here, and they expand on it in the second one, is that they kind of debunk some of the werewolf uh, conventions. And they, they, they say that you know a lot of this nonsensible full moons, they can change whenever they want. And I like that they kind of they make it that way because for obvious reasons, you know, they don't need to have the establishing shot of the full moon every time someone changes. But it it just it it adds a richness to the and a re, I guess a reality to the thing to say no this isn't a myth this is real and this is what happens versus the myth right which I like. Um, I also like that bookstore scene because I like that uh, that Dick Miller is like a salesman too because he's like I got a book on it I got thirteen books on it I got a book on it <laughs> yeah yeah no for sure uh, I got to say man when they get to the compound and they get some of these shots. Because it's Northern California, it looks almost like Antonio Bay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it looks totally like Antonio Bay. Aaron, weren't you expecting to hear, uh, uh, what's her name, in that, Billy? <laughs> no, 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 that's her name in, in, uh, the, in the crate. Oh, fuck, what's, uh, what's Barbo's name in uh, The Fog again? I can't remember. Uh, Stevie Wayne. Stevie Wayne. There we go. That's it. You a fan of The Fog, Aaron? Um, yeah, it's not my favorite carpenter, but I like it. Okay, cool. Um... But, uh, yeah, we talked about Dee and how she's just very likable. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about the the Picardo transformation, but one that's not as showy and it's not as long, but 
I really like the uh, the love making transformation scene. With I'm not going to spoil it, but with uh, one of the female and uh, female characters, one of the male characters in the film, I thought it was good. Yeah, the the female character in this film, Elizabeth Brooks, played by Elizabeth Brooks. Uh, if and one of my notes is, if she doesn't scream, uh, you know, seedy person from the beginning. I mean, she walks around all the time in leather, <laughs> leather, and uh, plunging neckline leather. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know she's got like this strange headband on, and she gives like uh, D. Wallace Stone like a, a look to kill at one point when she talks. I mean, it's like Jesus, you know, you didn't have to really turn around and give us that look, did you? I mean, yeah. it's just funny to me that she's walking around this leather. I mean, you got to be smelling trouble, you know, the leather, and I guess there's like some kind of teeth on that necklace or maybe bear claws. I don't know what that is, but that's a donut. <laughs> That is, it's a very, good, it's a very good pastry. The bear claw. <laughs> what were you gonna say, Aaron? No, you know who um, Elizabeth Brooks kind of looks like to me. Um, she kind of looks like Barbara Bach. Do you get yeah, that at all? Totally, man. Totally Barbara yeah. Bach. Like as soon as I saw her, like that's, she's the first person I thought of, and I did kind of like a side by side comparison, you know, pictures, and it's like identical. Yeah, she does look like Barbara Bach, a little bit like a Jolie vibe, not as pretty, and yeah. she reminds me of uh, there's a girl on a woman on true blood i don't know if you watched do you watch that Aaron? no okay there's a woman on true blood who plays alexander skarsgård's uh like left-hand woman i guess for lack of a better description she kind of looks like her too but uh she's a yeah. she's a torontonian i was gonna say toronto represent man she unfor- oh, nice. unfortunately she died young she uh yeah. she got cancer and uh she's only 46 when she died you know what's ironic about these two films is that elizabeth brooks died from cancer Sadly, far too young. And then the African American werewolf in the second one had a serious bout with cancer. Wow, really? Wow. So yeah, it's kind of a the kind of ironic Pam Greer light. Actually. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I do say, I do say, I will say that the grotty animation at the end of that one sequence is a bit lumpy, though. Like I just, <laughs> well, it's pretty fucking bad. And here I am telling my wife, "You got to see this man. There's great transformations. You'll dig it." And then, then, then she's she's fucking around on her iPad, and she looks up at that moment. She's like, "Oh yeah, great transformation." Yeah, there, there's some moments in the film where the effects aren't as good, and I think it's one of those things where the the ambition is there, but the, you know mm-hmm. the effects weren't there yet. Right. Right, so, exactly. It's like some rotoscope animation. That's what it is. That's what it reminds me of. It reminds me of something like, like Out of the Hobbit or something. Right? Or heavy metal or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I love the the atmosphere, though, that Dante does create with everything from the howls. And you could say, you know, yeah, werewolf howl. But the way whenever people are at the compound that, that aren't werewolves, it, it just seems like they're enveloped by all these this cacophony of howls and it's really great man and everything from that to the forest with these really tall trees and some of the fog and stuff just great atmosphere i thought even though i did like the city stuff a lot better i did like the atmosphere set up at the compound mm-hmm. um wolf chili shows up again a little dante thing yeah. <laughs> which is which is funny uh there's a great little hand transformation which oh, i yeah. liked did we, get, did we mention that rob botin does the effects in this was it rob botin or was it was it Rob Bottin? Yeah, it's Bottin. Yeah, it was Bottin. Okay, then it was Kevin Yeager that did the second one. Uh, yeah, probably. Okay, yeah, Bottin, one of the preeminent. There's uh, a, there's a slight difference in quality of effects between the first one and the second one. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. But I don't think the second one's effects are as bad as people make them out to be, though. No, other than the fact that all the wolf people look like Bigfoot as opposed to werewolves, but that's just me. Oh, I don't know, yeah. man. I don't think they're as bad as, as people say, but maybe that's just me. But uh, And I guess it is just me. But uh, um, yeah, but Botine's effects. And, and I said to my wife, because she, she said that one, that one might kind of made her go, oh, wow, that is really good. And then, you know, of course, the Eddie Quist uh, 
one when he he um he transforms from well, hippie it, to bite. Yeah, it was one of those things where Rick Baker was going to do the howling, but he and this is a this I'm not telling this story isn't something I know. This is actually well known uh, Hollywood lore. Rick Baker was going to do this film uh, because uh, Landis was going to do an American Werewolf in London, and that kind of got delayed, and so you know Dante had this going. So he called up Rick Baker, and Rick Baker was going to go work on it. And Botine worked for Baker and did some other stuff. And Botine worked with Dante on uh, Piranha. Uh, he was kind of an up-and-comer. you got to remember how young that guy was when he started. I think he's like 17 years old when he started working in Hollywood. Because The yeah. Thing was his first film, I think, like the year before, wasn't it? Or? Yeah, that was his first full-blown, you know, his project, Rob Botine's oh, project. Right, right. So that, that really was his calling card, right? Because he did, uh, well, he did, you know, The Fog and stuff like that, too. And, uh, you know, he, so... Baker was on it, I think, and then, you know, Landis, you know, who's friends with Dante, uh, said, hey, you know, you can't take my fucking guy, you know, we all, they both had these werewolf movies going, so they kind of tried to one-up each other, Botine and Baker, and, and see, that's where competition comes in really good, see, because both of these, both of those films, this film and that film, depending on your taste, they both have great transformation scenes. Yeah, they do. Where one was trying to one-up the other, so, you know. Yeah. Have you guys seen um, Fantastic Flesh, the... Uh makeup effects documentary from no. a few years ago no i haven't seen it no um it's pretty cool there's like this whole in-depth section uh about american werewolf versus the howling and they got interviews with landis and dante and uh baker and botine and they they talk about the whole story on there and they kind of compare the transformation scenes and i don't know it's it's in, it's like an interesting little you know backstory to the movie fantastic flesh that's called there yeah i'll have to look into that that yeah, it's pretty weird. cool. It's only like an hour long. It was on TV, so. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. Um, that sounds very good. Uh, I don't know which one I like more, to be honest. I really don't. Um, I like both. I don't know if you got I think, Rick, you like this one better, right? Between the two films? Yeah. Um, for different reasons. <laughs> it, okay. It's kind of hard for me to explain that. Uh, I'll explain it more when we start talking about The Howling too, but... I do love The Howling. Uh, I don't think it's like the greatest werewolf movie ever made. Oh, you t- are you talking about between uh, Howling and American Werewolf in London? Yeah. Oh, well, between American Werewolf in London and Howling, I think American Werewolf in London is a better film, but I think that this film has a better transformation. That's Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, the okay. transformation. You think this transformation is better? Yeah, I think that American Werewolf in London is kind of it's, it's, it's such a weird movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, some people call it a horror comedy. It's 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 funny in a way, but it's it, it's so dark too in a way. It's just an odd movie. It's probably and for, for me, it's probably Landis's best film he ever did. Yes, and uh, but this film is a little bit more in spots. It's a little bit more clunky and stuff. But the transformation in this one, I really love with the bladders and the and the way that the chest pops and and everything like that. Just in this one, even though they tried to make the American Werewolf in London one more painful i feel like this one's more painful i don't know if it's me but it, i just felt like there was more pain involved in this one it looked painful where, where do you stand on this aaron um i agree with sammy i think uh american Wolf is the more solid movie of the two um as far as the transformation scenes uh i'm gonna have to say the howling yeah i've never really put too much thought into it but i just like the howling transformation scene because i don't know it's so fucking wacky you know yeah, <laughs> yeah it is it just is like insane. The, yeah, just like different looks of the werewolf as it's like transitioning, you know. Bubbling from, and Yeah. <laughs> that actually yeah. that that bubble effect actually reminded me of the Toxic Avenger. Did anyone yeah. else like I, yeah. I when you say that now I, I see it. I didn't uh, when I first saw it, but yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. For what it's worth, I prefer the probably the American werewolf transformation. I, I, I like 
See, I'm kind of of two minds too because I feel like I really appreciate Dante uh, and and Fotine's um, melding of wolf and man because they still look like wolves who are walking on their hind legs a little bit. But part of me feels like that looks silly because they have these little twig legs. You know yeah. what I mean? Whereas in Werewolf Wolf London, it's like this big hulking kind of wolf, which I, I tend to like better. Like, you know what has a really good werewolf? From what I remember, I could be wrong, but the werewolf sequence in um, Waxworks, I really like um, from what I remember. So not that it, the transformation is as good as these two, but the, the end product, I, I, I kind of like this kind of barrel-chested, uh, more universal on steroids look. But... Um, D. Wallace throws chloroform or whatever the fuck that was. Like she's catching butterflies with a net. Like she, she's lucky she hit Quist with that stuff, man. Like it's like her arm's stiff and she just flicks her wrist and this shit splashes out. It's uh, she's got to learn to throw a little better, man. Uh, the end of this film to me, hopefully this doesn't spoil anything, is shades of like Rosemary's Baby. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the, just the kind of the way it plays out. Um, and Shades of True Blood with some of the stuff with with uh, getting involved with, like, what's the word I'm looking for? Immersing yourself in, with humans and stuff. Uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for. But anyway, um, the really great kind of well-edited frenzy during the scene with some werewolves at the car at the end. Like, I found that I got my, my pulse going. Oh, yeah. Werewolves are all over the car. I thought it was really well-edited and kind of, like, holy shit, man, let's move. And I got to say, my last note, I love, love, love the decision the lead character makes uh, and the ending and not the final final like you know minute or whatever but the the final moments she's on screen I love that ending it's 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 something that really stuck with me it's the only thing I remembered from this film before watching it again uh, and I, I really really love the ending so nice Aaron you got some uh, more stuff you'd like to add yeah not a whole lot um, early on there's this uh jump scare scene involving a dog do you guys know what i'm talking about <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> like what i i mean i understand what you know dante was going for but the scene like the whole scene just seemed kind of random to me like i don't know it's an effective jump scare because like i haven't watched this movie in like maybe seven eight years and i, I didn't see that coming so it was effective in that respect you know but um what makes it funny to me is like the chick the actress just like totally no sold it you know what i mean like she just stood there and she's just like she's just like whatever she just threw like a newspaper at its head and it took off you know yeah. <laughs> i don't know just like kind of a random scene to me um i like the uh the entrance like for the newscasters like they're standing off camera like i, I don't remember like how the old news was back in the day like if they actually did this or if they were just like you know already like on camera, but, um, you know, D. Wallace's character, she worked at a, at a news station. And the scene where she, like, has a breakdown after, like, the whole, you know, Eddie incident. Like, they're standing off to the camera. There's, like, four newscasters and, like, the music plays. And they just kind of, like, casually walk to, like, you know, where they're supposed to sit. Yeah. No, I like I don't know. No, I like I just thought. Yeah, I just thought it was kind of funny. You know, you don't really see that kind of stuff on, like, news nowadays. No, definitely not. Um, let's see what else. Oh, we get the jaded mortician at one point. That's one of my favorite horror movie conventions. Or yeah. Like <laughs> yeah, that's good old, any movie. That's good old John Sills there. Yeah. 
You know, the the mortician who, like, eats a sandwich and, like, puts it on the dead body? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always laugh when I see that. And, and in this one, they make a point of, like, a really sloppy-looking burger beside, like, a kidney or something or yeah. some organ. It's, like, right there, like, they could touch if you move them, like, an inch. Yeah, and the last thing I got is the transformation scene. Uh, it lasts almost three minutes. It's, like, uh, 15 seconds short of three minutes. I timed it. And, like, the whole time, D. Wallace is just standing there, like, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah She could have just took off, but, she, like, she waited for, like, the... Yeah, that's one of those things, right? You know, it's one of those things where, like, even she's so enamored with Rob Bottin's work, she can't run away, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, she, she had to, well, hey, in her defense, she had to try out her patented butterfly capture technique on Eddie. But, no, I'm glad you brought that up, Aaron, because my wife and I both said the same thing, like, you know, he he's probably not in a position to take off after you. Fucking run! Like, <laughs> yeah, this is your chance. Yeah, he's in he's in mid transformation. That's like uh, that's like uh, getting ready to have an orgasm and trying to chase somebody at the same time. <laughs> yeah, you know, like if you're, are, yeah. if you're getting ready to blow your load, it's like you're not going to get up and start running. <laughs> no, your your legs are wobbling, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she's got like the perfect opportunity to get away. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, all right, is that is that, is that what you is that is that it, Aaron? Yeah, that's about it. While I stumble through everything I'm trying to say. <laughs> All right, uh, I got a few more notes here. I'll go ahead and add that this is actually one of my favorite werewolf films. I mean, uh, I know Emily from over at Deadly Doll's house. She she just adores the werewolf movies. But what I like about this werewolf movie is it, it does, deals a lot with the kind of uh, savagery of you know man versus beast, that type of stuff. That's what I like so much about the werewolf element. Some people don't like it or don't get it, but to me... It always works because there's always that fine line between savagery and civilization, right? I mean, you know, we could all, if we really wanted to, be savage. And uh, honestly, it would probably be more natural for a lot of people to be savage as opposed to not, you know, to, for all these inhibitions that you end up getting and stuff through, you know, whatever, civilization, religion, whatever it takes to get you through it. Um, the cast is very interesting. I, I, will, I won't mention anybody else. I will mention that Dennis Duggan is in this film who went on to direct so many great uh, Adam Sandler movies and... Uh, you know, who might be in movie jail for me for like the rest of his life or some of the crap he's directed, you know, including the new uh, Adam Sandler movie where he plays a female and a male. Can't wait for that one. Oh, God. Hang on one second. <laughs> I got to one more. Sir, you guys keep talking. Okay. Um, I'll get the, you know, the, the, there's a little bit of sentimentality, a little bit of nostalgia for me for this film. I, I kind of graded yeah. on that scale a little bit because I grew up. This was on cable a lot, and I remember the scenes of like, uh, hey, Karen, or whatever her name was, I want to give you a piece of my mind, and and all these yeah. moments and stuff. And as kids, we would, you know, we would always kind of mock that and stuff, and be like, oh, it was so cool, you know. Of course, it looks kind of funny as a grown up uh, looking at movie effects and stuff, but it still looks pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, you know, speaking of nostalgia, when I was a kid, there were like maybe you know a handful of movies that I was genuinely terrified to watch. Like I just refused to watch them. Mm -hmm. And believe it or not, this was one of them, and it's because of the, the porno booth scene. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I just always found uh, Eddie's silhouette to just be like super fucking creepy, you know. <laughs> well, it is. It really is. I mean, that scene. Yeah. That scene is really creepy, especially when you're younger. I think that you know, the horror in this film is pretty intense. Now, I think you know, as grown men, it, it's easy to kind of look at it differently now. But oh yeah. I think it really kind of speaks to, you know, that kind of what Dante does best, I think, is he knows what's scary for kids. It's like it's like he knows that for some strange reason. Uh, he did that well in Gremlins and and some mm. other things. He knows what just for how far to push it for kids to be either one, you know, grossed out 
or you know just freaked out like he he he's got that he's got that down that's one thing you can say yeah. about him he he just seems to nail that and this film even though it's a little bit more harsher than like gremlins or something like that he still has the ability to scare people you know as a director and that's still that's still a you know it's a trait that you know not a lot of directors have there's some people that make horror movies that can't even make you know one scene scary they can't even get a jump scare right you know uh, right. take for example part two which we'll talk about a little later <laughs> um, I, wonder if it's, I wonder if it's the scene I'm thinking about it, it might be we'll get to it we'll see if we'll get to yeah. it um, I feel you know like uh, Dante he's one of those directors who you know he's much appreciated by his fans like everybody that loves him loves Joe and uh, right. I've met him a couple times he's a super nice guy he really does give you his time and stuff like that. So he's, you know, he really knows where he stands in the in the great big machine that is, you know, filmmakers and Hollywood and stuff. But I always feel like in a lot of ways, like recently, he's really gotten the short end of the stick. It's like he doesn't work a lot anymore. Yeah. Um, his last movie, The Hole, didn't even. I don't even think it's got even a region one release. I don't even think it's still been released here in the states. Nope. Uh, you know, it's out there, but I mean, you gotta, you know, you gotta buy a region, a different region copy and stuff like that. I don't know what's going on there, but it just seems like. And I haven't seen it yet, so I can't argue. But I know some people have said it's pretty intense for a movie aimed at, you know, kind of like kids again. But you know, it's like I think it's like it's PG thirteen again. So that they say that there's a, I know Ian over at Cinerama, I think he saw it or somebody saw it. I know, and said it was pretty damn intense for what it, you know, what it's supposed to be. So I need to get around checking that out at some point. Um. Okay. So we talked about the American Werewolf thing. Blah blah blah. My thoughts on. Uh, let's see, I'm kind of running through my notes here. Just kind of getting through. Let's see here. I think well, while, while you're doing that, I'll bring something up. Okay. Uh, what I like about werewolf movies, like I prefer, you know, the werewolf uh, genre, I guess, over vampire films. I'll take a werewolf movie any day. Mm-hmm. But what I like about them is, you know, kind of the obvious, you know, metaphors for lycanthropy. You know, yep. Like the, you know, this goes all the way back to the original Wolfman. But um. I didn't really like find any, you know, metaphors or symbolism with this one, except for maybe like uh, sexual repression, I guess. Like, you know, because I mean, the first transformation takes kind of takes place in that porno booth, and it's kind of it's kind of stemmed from you know sexual arousal. Yeah. And there's like a, there's like a lot of you know sexual uh, iconography. I don't know. That's a stupid word to describe it, but. You know what I mean? Just like yeah. different like symbolism and stuff. Like they check uh, like in that abandoned house. There's like uh, you know porno magazine. You know pages ripped out and like put on the walls and stuff. Right, so, right. See, that's I the, don't know. Did you did you kind of get anything from that or? Well, that's the thing for me. The the lycanthropy type thing for me. The man versus beast thing always comes back to sexuality, and I think that's where yeah. a lot of people get lost sometimes with werewolf movies. Now, it's a lot easier to make it, you know, the like the new Wolfman, for instance. I think it was more inner turmoil and anger that created the werewolf. But in the original idea of, I think werewolves, it was more sexual because you got to think about dogs or canines in general. I mean, I'm a mm-hmm. big dog person. I own three dogs now. I've owned as many as four at a time. Uh, I, I love dogs, but dogs have an unadulterated view of the world right they they love you yeah. or they hate you they want to they want to have sex or they don't want to have sex they really just don't have no in between they're just like you know their their basic animal nature is what overtakes them so when a dog gets really excited and this is a weird conversation to have but this is true when a dog gets really excited it's almost impossible to stop a dog like uh i've had males and females in these groups of dogs i've owned 
and you know one of them gets excited and you know he jumps on the other dog and it's like fuck man i gotta get this dog off of this dog or i'm gonna have more dogs <laughs> so you know you gotta get like you know cold water or a water hose out or something like that to get them off of yeah. man because if you try to take a male dog off of a female dog mid mid uh you know action there you know mid mid screwery mid fuckery uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna get fucked up because yeah. their animal nature takes over at that point they're gonna they're gonna get what they want and you can't yeah. stop them and that's to me that's where werewolves work because werewolves to me it's unadulterated human lust it's 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 going against the conventions of what we're supposed to it's what religion takes away it's all of these things and that's where i think like some people can't get past that but for me that's where it comes from it's like it it allows human beings to be the animal that they basically are. And I think that's where werewolves in particular can be really great cinematically. Now, unfortunately, not all directors or very smart directors sometimes handle it that way. They handle it more like, you know, boogeyman or, right. or just monster. But if you get a really smart director involved in it and stuff, you can see the kind of savagery and stuff. And then Landis did the same thing. You know, there's a lot of sexuality in American Werewolf in London. And, uh, a lot of these films from the 70s and 80s, the werewolf movies, there's a lot of sexuality in it. So I'm glad, you know, you see that as well as I do because I think, you know, a lot of people don't see that. A lot of people don't see the sexuality element. It's very it's very much a male thing, too. I don't think, not to sound, you know, crass or anything, but I think sometimes when it comes to werewolf movies, some females don't get them because I, I, I don't know if females can relate to kind of like that, that natural insane lust that can kind of come over you know, because of testosterone and, and things like that. And I think that's where that comes yeah. from. That's just me, though. Yeah. You know, I just... Yeah, no. But I'm glad you saw that, too, because that's the way I feel about werewolf movies. I feel like they, you know, they 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 can explore that stuff without, you know... you know. Well, I guess they kind of do hit you over the head with it, if you really think about it. But they can also kind of explore, you know... In this film, and even the second film, there's a lot of sexuality explored. And the, you know... And I think all the Howling films, uh, werewolves and sexuality are kind of mixed together a lot and uh you know. yeah well in the second one it was more <laughs> exploitative than anything but <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll get to that <laughs> yeah yeah they, they they it's definitely more exploitation but it's but yeah. it's uh you know it's still there you know the the, right, the, right, the tone right. especially with the then we'll get to it but especially with the henchman character of uh i can't remember his name in the film but uh, <laughs> i remember he played the mickey the trucker in Wee's big adventure but uh <laughs> or mickey i don't know if he's a trucker but i just remember he was mickey and he's talking to Wee. he's pretty hilarious but uh, yeah, just you know, th- that 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 element is what I like about werewolf movies. That's what I like the most. I just like that kind of visceral feeling that werewolves give. And of course, you know, being a big dog person, I guess I'm just attracted to the idea of <laughs> me being able to turn into a <laughs> a canine. I guess you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Maybe it's a fetish. Maybe I should go back to the last episode I was on. <laughs> uh, I don't really have a whole lot more else to say. I don't know where Will went. I guess he's taking care of a baby. I think my baby's waking yeah. up too, so hopefully my wife will grab him here in a minute. Um, I, do, I will say, though, I do like the way Dante ends the film as well. I won't give away the ending, but it's just classic Joe Dante. You know, it's, yeah. it's like a little end joke. And uh, and I'm talking about the very, very end. I'm not talking about the the scene that Will was talking about with one of our lead characters. I'm just talking about the other the other. Scene. Sorry, guys. No, that's fine. Uh, I was just talking about the uh, the way Dante ends the film, uh, not not so much with the thing you were talking about, but the very very ending where it's just classic Joe Dante end joke. <laughs> mm, yes, yes. You know, it's just that's that's Dante in a nutshell. You know, his way of saying, you know, hey, it's this, you know, this is kind of crass, but this is the way I'm going to do it and stuff. And we were just talking about Will about uh, how 
uh, Aaron brought up that you know werewolves and sexuality and stuff and how they're kind of tied together and stuff and mm-hmm. but it's way too much of a conversation to get into so and <laughs> I already went into it so you'll just have to listen to it when we get to it but I'll go ahead and kick it over to you uh, Will for your uh, uh, you know MVTs and whatnot. Okay, make or break. Um, I wanted to go at the end because I like I like that ending and the decision made by by the character. But I, I mean, I think you kind of have to go with the transformation. You know, it's it's what the film's kind of known for. It's one of the benchmark moments in practical effects. Um, so I got to go with that. MVT, I'm going to go with Dante. Uh, I think he does a good job with the genre that, you know, at this time it's seen a lot of coverage. Um, and, you know, this kind of kicked off a renaissance between this and Landis' uh, American Werewolf. So I'm going to go with him. My score for the film is a 7 out of 10. If this stuff had stayed in the city and had maintained its style, as well as its sense of humor and its practical effects, um, I probably would have given the score, uh, the film, a higher score, but it gets a bit by the numbers and and stuff, uh, even though it does have some good atmosphere once you get out into the compound in the woods. And uh, that's my stuff. Right. So 7 out of 10. <laughs> All right, uh, Aaron, what, uh, what do you got there, buddy? Okay, I'm, I'm almost the same as Will as far as make or breaks and stuff. Uh, my, my make or break is also the transformation scene. Um, I don't know, I just I just love watching it. It's the most memorable thing about the movie for me. Um, and that kind of ties into my MVT, which is actually Rob Bottin. I'm going to give it to him. Oh, nice. Uh, I really like nice. his work in this movie. And uh, what I like about the werewolves is like he, you know, there's like different types of werewolves in the movie. It's like, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know the circumstances exactly, but it's kind of like, you know, I think of it as like Rick Baker leaving and then uh, Bottin kind of stepping it up and going crazy and having free reign to do whatever he wanted. <laughs> yeah. And um, like at, towards the end, like I won't say what character turns into it, but there's like a an Ewok looking werewolf. You know oh, what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Looks like a Pomeranian, then, actually. Yeah, it does yeah. look like a Pomeranian, unfortunately. Exactly. And then uh, you know you get the big, you know, the werewolf that Eddie turns into. You know, from the transformation scenes, like this big, you know, gigantic, you know, eight feet eight foot tall werewolf with these giant like rabbit ears or something yeah yeah, um, yeah i like that scene where the the werewolf takes like a swipe it looks fucking vicious big guy in a big right, werewolf suit right and uh and my score is a seven also straight seven um i don't think it's a great movie i i you know it's more nostalgia for me i, yeah. I, I like it more you know than uh I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say. No, I, I hear you, man. I think it's it's like, more important to our formative horror viewing years than it is as far as being like a, a transcendent kind of film. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right. Well, my my make or break is also the transformation. So uh, you know, it's it's pretty amazing. I mean, again, it's the transformation I prefer, but it's. I think it's just because I have to also mention that, you know, this transformation we didn't mention. I mean, this is like the wettest transformation ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, Ricardo, first of all, he's a sweaty mess most of the movie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's just a mess. You know, he looks like a, looks like the bottom of a spaghetti strainer out of parole violators uh, after he gets done. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> don't go on to his countertop. Uh, MVT, I'm going to go with Dante, although I could easily go with Botin. Uh but I got to give it to Dante because this one, this is like I say, one of the films where he kind of, it kind of shows that you know, he has style as a director and stuff. He just kind of you know chooses to go a different way. Uh, but you know, we'll hit it on the head with some of the stuff in the opening and stuff. I mean, it's as good as anything shot by Paul Schrader or Martin Scorsese in that time period. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so it's yeah. really, 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 really beautiful stuff. Uh, my score is a little higher than your guys, and I believe it's totally tinged by nostalgia, and that would be 7.5. Uh, that half a point is totally, totally nostalgia because I love this movie growing up. I haven't, like I said, I haven't watched it in like five plus years and stuff, so it was nice to revisit and stuff and just kind of smile and just sit back and kick with the glee and stuff that this nostalgia brings and stuff. Uh, it's not a great film, but if you saw it, and if you're around my age group and you saw it as often as I did on cable and stuff, you probably know where I'm coming from with that score. So, uh, yeah, that's the howling. So uh, we'll take a short break and come back and talk about uh, <laughs> uh, the sequel to the howling, uh, the howling two. Uh, your sister is a werewolf. Uh, we'll, we'll, be <laughs> we'll be back right after this. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. <laughs> but don't take my word for it just listen to what the gentleman's guide to midnight cinema has to say about our show well, it's a husband and wife show and they discuss movies and stuff yeah a very wife husband show high praise indeed so come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com it will save your life or maybe just help you kill an hour We get, uh, I don't even know what that song was. Something with wolves in the title, though. Anyway, uh, so we are going to do The Howling 2. Your sister is a werewolf. And uh, I don't or, know. Or, or a.k.a. Sterba, Werewolf Beach. <laughs> <laughs> werewolf Beach. Uh, oh, yeah, you want to, uh, I think uh, Aaron's going to take the lead on this. So do you want uh, to synopsize largely? Sure. Yeah, okay. uh, a young girl whose sister, that does not, first off, that's wrong. A young man <laughs> whose sister was murdered by werewolves. Uh, you know what? Ooh. God, this is taking long as I should. Uh, okay, I'll just, okay, a young man whose sister was murdered by werewolves helps an investigator track down a gang of beasts through the U.S. and Europe. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it in a nutshell. Yes, there you go. But I just, I, the reason I, I paused was I just, uh, because of continuity and everything else. And, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, so. All right, Aaron, let's hear what you got to say. All right, well, first of all, was she inve- an investigator or a journalist? I thought she was a journalist. As did I. I thought she was oh. a dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think they totally bungled that up. Yeah. Were you talking about anyway, the dude or the journalist? What part are we talking about? Well, here? the fact that they said it was a young girl when it was really a young man, and the girl wasn't uh, an investigator. Oh, no, but never mind. This is getting <laughs> confusing. I think Stefan Krosko uh, was an, an investigator of sorts, yeah. maybe. <laughs> maybe. Okay. I don't know. Uh, anyway. <laughs> he was a paranormal right. investigator, yes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> All right, uh, so The Howling 2 starring uh, Christopher Lee, Sybil Danning, 
Reb Brown of your fame, which you guys covered a while back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, directed by Philippe Mora, yes. uh, who you may know as the director of such films as Howling 3. <laughs> yes. Uh, Pterodactyl Woman from Beverly Hills. <laughs> yes. Mad Dog Morgan, the Dennis Hopper. Yeah. yeah. The, re- the Return of Captain Invincible. <laughs> Communion. Yeah, the walking uh, joint. The Beast Within, which is fucking awful. Do you guys remember that one? Yes, yeah, I do remember that one, yes. And also, I should, we should mention, uh, you might have overlooked this one, but I will not. He's also the director of Back in Business, an action film starring one Brian Bosworth and one Joe Torre. Nice. Not the baseball nice. manager either, the uh, the actor or comedian. I would hope, yeah. <laughs> that would be my favorite movie ever. <laughs> uh, yes. But yeah, he even yeah. did a Bosworth joint. So there we go. Nice. Wow. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, both of the Halloween movies are based on novels, which I've never read. I've never read either one of them. Uh, I'm gonna guess you, none of you guys have. Well, no, that's nope. not that's not true. I've I've read the oh, really? uh, I've read the first novel. I never read the second one. I didn't even know there was a second novel until we did the show. Uh, yeah. I did read the first novel. It is uh, the easiest way to describe it is uh, it's a, it's a porno book. Is it? Yeah, it's essentially mm-hmm. a porno book. It's one of the it's one of the most sexually descriptive books I've ever read in my life. So it's sort of like Twilight for married women, but werewolves instead of vampires. Yeah, it's one of those things where I was reading it. I was a teenager, and I was almost embarrassed while I was reading it. <laughs> Bestiality, man. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, they were both written by the same author. Apparently, this one strays really far from the source material quite a bit, <laughs> which is uh, which is kind of a relief to hear. You know, I can't imagine... <laughs> I can't imagine this movie in written form. That must be a fucking mess, you know? <laughs> oh, wow, yeah. But apparently, from what I read, too, is that Philippe Mora, or not Philippe Mora, um, what's his name? Uh, God, I can't remember the, the writer's name of the original books, but... Gary, Gary Brandner. Brandner. Apparently, this one had his blessing more than the second, more than the first one. It, it, it was a little more faithful, he felt, than, than part one. So, I don't know if that says about Bradner, but... I mean, this and this this works on its own merits, but I think part yeah. four is supposed to be the one that's essentially the first book. Part four is actually the one that they quote unquote went back and redid, and it's essentially the first film, but it's the book. Oh well, so mm-hmm. and it's not very good. Yeah, I think I watched like half of that one, and I got like super bored and turned it off. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty boring. Is that the one about like the strained uh, marriage? Like, there's a married couple in it. And, yeah, like, they go off somewhere. Yeah, it's got the uh, Val Kilmer's ex-wife in it, Joanne Wally Kilmer, or whatever. Oh, yeah, uh, very nude yeah. in that movie. Very, very nude. There's a lot of nudity in that movie. It's worth watching for that reason, but it's very boring. Yeah. Can, can you guys believe Sybil Danning's 64 years old? Um, no, actually, I can't. Be- well, I don't know. Sometimes I can, sometimes I can't. Does, does that make any sense? And she's Austrian. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on with my notes just to kind of speed through this. Uh, you know, all of that being said, based on a novel, blah, blah, blah. This is barely tied to the original. Uh, Reb Brown, he plays uh, the brother, which the synopsis got wrong. He plays the brother of <laughs> D. Wallace's character. Uh, and it's not, you know... The chick isn't her sister, whatever. And uh, basically, he tam- he teams up with uh, this female journalist and uh, Christopher Lee's character, who's he's kind of like an Ahab to me, you know. Like mm-hmm. he's like this werewolf hunter, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he's uh he's hip. To- he comes out of nowhere and he's like hip to some shady werewolf activity going on. <laughs> yeah. 
which which may or may not involve a, a group of these werewolves from Transylvania stealing D. Wallace's corpse and taking it back to their country. <laughs> he's uh he's very hip to uh yeah. to the point to where people uh people that are werewolves look at him and he just nods at him like I know you're a werewolf. Yeah. Well, he's hip in that sense and he's hip in that he wears new wave skinny sunglasses at some point. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Which is amazing. That. Yeah. yeah that, that's a great moment, yeah. <laughs> And uh, at first, Rep Brown is kind of, you know, aloof. Well, he's aloof throughout the whole movie, but at first he's, like, really skeptical about, you know, all the werewolf stuff. And then until a certain event happens that convinces him otherwise and Christopher Lee knows what he's talking about. And uh, at that point, you know, they all, the three of them get together and they fly to Transylvania and they're basically uh, tracking down, um, you know, this uh, African-American lady who's introduced in the movie. She's like, a super werewolf, apparently. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I never, you know, I never really got that, but whatever. I'll take their word for it. <laughs> <laughs> what was her name? What was her name? Was her name Manana? Manana? The, the Mar- actress or the character? Yeah, the character, I think. Or was it Mar- Mariana? Mar- Mariana? I think it's Mariana or something. Okay, so it was Marsha Hunt. Okay. Which is the yeah, woman yeah. that had sadly cancer. Yeah, I've got to look into her, see if I've seen her. In, I know I've seen her in something else. Yeah, and uh, at that point, you know, they all fly to Transylvania, and um, from then on, the movie just, like, spirals out of fucking control. Uh, it basically revolves around the resurrection of uh, Sybil Danny's character, Sturba, who's, like, the queen of this werewolf tribe. And basically, she's going to take control of this tribe of werewolves and, you know, I don't know, whatever, kill a bunch of people, I guess. <laughs> world, and, uh, world domination. Yeah. Right. At one point, there's like almost like a, an apocalypse scenario. I wasn't sure what they were going for. It was like the world was going to end, but only, you know, in Transylvania. <laughs> like they had like re- religious icon- iconography, you know, the cross was upside down and Jesus was bleeding and, uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that kind of stuff. Hey, I just found out. I just found out that Marsha Hunt is actually the inspiration for the song Brown Sugar by the Rolling Stones. I didn't know that. Oh, Wow. I thought it was heroin, but uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> wild. That is wild. Yeah, so, but, so basically, they get to Transylvania, shenanigans ensue, blah blah blah. And then uh, I'll just go over my notes, like bullet point style, real quick. Uh, the movie opens with Christopher Lee doing a monologue. He's like <laughs> super superimposed in front of these stars, and uh, it's like added, huh? No, sir. It's like direct access cable quality, <laughs> right? Like a public access show or yeah, something? Yeah, sorry, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> He's like superimposed in front of these stars and like for added effect, they got like this fake skeleton from like biology class next to him <laughs> in the background. Yeah. And I'm not sure what he's talking about, but <laughs> he, he, sa- he said, I quote, a golden chalice full of the filthiness of her fornications, which is pretty disgusting if you think about it. It is. Yeah. It's gross. <laughs> Considering he's talking about... Uh, uh, I'm assuming a woman who has sexual relations with the werewolf and I don't know, whatever. Discharge. We get back to female discharge on this show. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And then after that, we cut to the film's theme song, which, uh, which I'll talk about later, but I love the theme song to this movie. Uh, well, like I said, off air, you have no choice, but to love the theme song to this movie. Yeah, because it pops up like every fucking five minutes. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, they don't give you a choice. I mean, it's not like the Pino Donaggio score where you can kind of evaluate it and stuff. This one, you get like <laughs> one song and you get it like 16 times in like 90 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's no wonder why the soundtrack is out of print. It was probably like, you know, a single, like this song and like something else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh Let's see. Uh, during the scenes in uh, in L.A. before they go to Transylvania, there's like a lot of shitty graffiti everywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah, there's a ton uh, of graffiti, man. Yeah, and it's like really bad graffiti too. Like, I wonder how much of it was genuine and how much was like added on by like the you know the production team or whatever. <laughs> what what it looks like is it looks like somebody went like to a punk club or something and they saw like a yeah. bunch of letters and they didn't know what they meant. And they just started putting them up everywhere. Like, you know, we saw GBH. Man, we got to put yeah. GBH up there, man. <laughs> but they don't know what GBH stands for. So they're just like, you know, hey, but, you know, the kids will get it. Even though this is like, that that, that punk band is like the most unpunk band ever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when they're, at, just getting back to the graffiti, when they're at the cemetery, which is when uh, Christopher Lee's kind of introduced to Red Brown and, and you know, the journalist chick or whatever there's L- there's east la crips like spray painted in the background <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. so i was like wow the east la crips got a shout out in the Holland too that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> well at least they were right uh, at least they did it right and they made sure it was still set in america when they did it at least they didn't pop up when they got to romania <laughs> which is you know Checks. yeah usually in these kind of films it's like you know somebody doesn't pay attention like the east la crips in uh, romania you know it's like what the hell <laughs> Yeah, you know, somebody saw it in colors. They're like, oh, I think this means something. Let's spray paint it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's a line uh, about, in regards to, or referencing uh, Karen from the first movie saying uh, she was the victim of a senseless killing. But, you know, if I remember correctly, she was broadcast on live TV turning into a fucking werewolf. (laughs) And they shot her. It was far from senseless, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, there's a lot of I, the threads that run through the Howling films are are thin to say the least. They they ignore some things or revise. It, it comes like thinking of revi- revising or revision of history uh, for the purpose of propelling the story along. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, they were suggesting she was a victim of anonymous violence. I mean, you know, it's like they were making a commentary on like gang activity or something. Right. I don't, right. It just didn't really make sense to me. <laughs> uh, just getting back to the cemetery scene, we were introduced to you know a couple of the the werewolf people. Well, they're not werewolves yet, but you know they obviously stand out and they're shady. You know, it's kind of obvious. You know, they're tied to the to the werewolf cult. Well, it is kind of obvious because they all walk around hissing like cats. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how anybody in town can figure out who the werewolves are and who they aren't because they all walk around like they got you know like they all smell beef or something. You know, it's like it's really odd right. acting performances. And I was telling Aaron off the air. Well, I don't know if you noticed the the main henchman guy. He was. Do you remember him in Pee Wee's Big Adventure? Yeah, I do. <laughs> As Mickey, I think the truck driver or something like. Or yeah. Whatever. Oh my god, I, I couldn't place him. I couldn't place him, so I IMDb'd him last night, and I was like, "Oh my god, it's Mickey!" Yeah, he's done a few things. He looks almost like uh, there's like a Maori actor who works a lot nowadays. He looks kind of like him. Oh yeah, Tamora Morrison, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry, Aaron, I didn't mean to derail you there. Oh no, no, no worries. I was just looking over my notes. Um, just getting back to that. That when we're introduced to these characters, we get the 
the the grumpy old man, you know, who later turns into a grumpy old werewolf, I guess. <laughs> and he, yeah, see, totally. he sees Stefan, and he has, like, the worst, like, line delivery in the whole movie, which is saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, that is. He sees Stefan walk by, and he's like, <clears throat> Stefan. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's his line. Also, they always make sure to manage to show him, like, kicking his feet in the ground, like a dog who just, like, took a crap. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Marking his territory, whatever the fuck the, the is that what that means, man? I don't know what it means. Dogs typically only do that after they take a crap. I don't know what I don't know what it is. You know, a way to I mean, you know, cats cover their uh, excrement. Dogs, I don't know if they what they do. I don't know why they kick their feet like that though. But that's something they do. I'm not a dog psychologist. I love dogs, but I don't know what I don't know what that means. If anybody can let me know, please let me know. Well, uh, maybe he was part cat. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Who, who the fuck knows with this movie? <laughs> Uh, before this, before the story goes to Transylvania, we get, we get a scene of a, a punk slash new wave club in L.A. somewhere called the Slammer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. And Chris and Christopher Lee's in there apparently scoping out werewolves, and he stands out like a sore fucking thumb. Oh yeah. Yes. Even but, even with his glasses. <laughs> right. I was gonna I was gonna say he's like when we when we first see him in the club, he doesn't have his glasses on. And like, it looks like the bartender like gave him the pair of glasses to wear, and he puts them on. He's like, "Yeah, okay," <laughs> you know. Nice. <laughs> what are those glasses called anyway? They they remind me of like the uh, like Jordy the Forge. The what? <laughs> Jordy the Forge. <laughs> <laughs> the they I don't know what they're called. Uh, I remember they were very popular. Uh, yeah, I like the style of them or whatever. Yeah, and they were very. I don't know if you guys ever wore any of them or ever tried on no. a pair, but they were they're very uncomfortable. I, uh, the only, outside of normal sunglasses in the 80s, I only rocked, and I'm, I'm in all seriousness, the Venetian blind sunglasses. Oh, nice. Which nice. were less practical even than these. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> they always remind me of, like, Devo and bands like that. I mean, yeah. like, you know, they, 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 you know, that kind of stuff was, like, really popular for a while, and, and uh, it's just funny seeing Christopher Lee in that because he's wearing, like, you know, he looks like Christopher Lee is wearing his, uh, his clothes to this film, which is quite possible. And, uh, you know, there's actually moments where he's, like, completely dressed in a suit and wearing black gloves. I'm starting to think, is he a burn victim or something? You know, I mean, he's completely covered <laughs> at all times and stuff. I, I really feel bad for Christopher Lee in this movie. I feel like I don't know if he knew what he was getting into or if he just couldn't get any work at this point. I don't think so because he he really, like, had some negative things to say about this movie after it came out. Yeah. Which Apparently, I think... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I totally cut you off, Aaron. Go ahead. No, apparently he actually... Uh, because he worked with Joe Dante on uh, Gremlins 2, I think. Uh-huh. I was reading this earlier. And he actually apologized for starring in the sequel to The Howling. So, <laughs> Which, I, you know, I think that's unfortunate, to be honest. I, I got to be honest, man. This film has like a 2 point something, 2.8 or 2.6 on IMDb. For me, it's nowhere near that bad. Uh, no, no, it's not that bad. I mean, that, that's really inept. inept. That's like, that's, that's even below Turkish Star Wars territory to yeah, say 2.8. That's that's way too inept. I mean, even for guys who love films like this, like us three, uh, even if I even if I hated films like this, you know, films that were, you know, <laughs> a little less in quality and stuff, I still wouldn't give this a two point eight. I mean, no, it's not it's, it's not competently new. Competently made. If you watch enough garbage, this is way better than two point eight. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, Felipe Mora, he's a, he's a good filmmaker. He's not a great filmmaker, but he's a serviceable he's serviceable yeah i liked uh commun- communion and uh, i liked a few of those other films i mean he's not mm-hmm. not the worst director i've ever seen 
No, I agree. Sorry, Aaron. I just didn't think it. <laughs> yeah, we do that, Aaron. Oh, we oh, do no. that. We do that all the time, Aaron. So just you know. Yeah, no worries, no worries. Uh, but anyway, yeah, the punk club scene is is basically just a setup, uh, an establishing scene of uh, the the black uh, the African American actress as you know one of the werewolves. I mean, it's pretty obvious right from the start, but she actually has a transformation scene shortly after this because she lures like. Uh, a couple of punks away to an abandoned warehouse. Oh yeah, which which is kind of weird. Like I, I did, I didn't even think about this until now. But when they're at the club, it's like nighttime. But when they're at the warehouse, it's daylight out. Yeah. You, am I wrong about that? Or <laughs> no, no, no. You're right. No, you're right. Uh, also, yeah. that 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 does have a great uh, crate to the head scene, which is looks like a serious ouch. I don't know if that crate was fake, <laughs> but that stuntman took a hell of a hit from that crate, man. Oh yeah, pop yeah. off. That, that stuntman looked familiar, too. I bet I've seen him in something else. His nose was very distinct. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but I bet I've seen that guy in something. I just can't think of what it is, and I don't know what his name was in the movie. Tondo. Fuck, the names in this movie. I don't remember half of these characters' names. Luca. Uh, these are probably the uh, the Wild Bunch. But, you know, like uh, Moon Devil. Who, who played Moon Devil? Does anybody remember Moon Devil? Uh, no. <laughs> so, you know, there's all these names. Hey, yeah. I don't remember any of these people. Basically, I just remember Sterba. <laughs> Sterba. Also, feel sorry for the actress that played the old Sterba. She looked like she was being made to do stuff oh, she didn't God. want to do. She looked yeah. uncomfortable <laughs> as anything, man. It's like she was like some senile old lady they just brought on the set and like put a robe on her. Yeah, yeah. Put a bunch of half naked women around her. And <laughs> yeah, just a bizarre, uncomfortable like S and M. Yeah candle lit scene it just she did not want to be there she got forced into yeah. it and she's like why is yeah. why is mickey from peewee's big adventure saying these you know these hymns <laughs> you know? she's like i'm the world's biggest paul rubens fan what's wrong with mickey yeah right <laughs> uh anyway moving on uh just like the first howling this one has a very italian you know euro horror vibe to it at times oh yeah mm-hmm. which is kind of you know understandable since it takes since half of it takes place in europe but it, it kind of goes down to like the just the atmosphere not so much the look you know mm-hmm. and totally. even the uh even the journalist character that's like a big you know convention in italian you know horror exploitation movies like you know i know like fulci and argento they have like a lot of their main characters are like journalists or you know whatever writers and shit like that yeah. Um, every time Jenny talks, she's the journalist, by the way. Uh, I don't know if I said that earlier. It sounds like she's asking a question, even, even <laughs> oh, if she's yeah. not. Canadian. Oh, yeah. She's, yeah. She was driving me crazy, man. Yeah, she was not. <laughs> I didn't like her, man. She's very dull, and she tried to be intrepid, but she was too plain, and she was like a busted Jamie Lee Curtis with less yeah. spark. I don't know. Yeah, and she, yeah. she's popped up in a lot of movies i mean if you look at her filmography she's in a lot of stuff but i hardly remember her in anything i mean she's just just very forgettable and that's her one of her biggest issues and of course i said this on twitter last night to uh heaven's trash i said you know i I hate i hated the fashion convention of the girl wearing the tie Mm -hmm. i hated that when it was going on i remember going i was in school at the time and girls would come with the cardigan and the tie and the button-up shirt i hated that look unless it's like the like the you know how Blair from Facts of Life, oh yeah, Lisa Welchel used to rock like that that scarfy ascot with her outfit. That's right. okay. That's yeah, cool, man. That's fine. But the tie that's just more me crazy. than fine. <laughs> nice. I think we know where you stand on Facts of Life, chicks. 
hell. <laughs> I was more of a 2D kind of guy myself. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lisa Welchell, man. And I won't and I won't lie, uh, Joe did something for me too. I gotta be honest, she did, and I and in in retrospect, I don't know what that says about me. No, neither me the me either, but it might <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, she's but, still, uh, she's still uh, a good-looking woman, by the way. Sorry, Aaron. All the the <laughs> facts of life. Oh no, it's cool. It's cool. It's cool. <laughs> oh man. Uh, anyway, just I got a few more notes here. I'll just okay. finish up. Um. Well, apparently Jenny drives Christopher Lee crazy too, because the funniest scene in the movie to me is uh, when they first get to Transylvania. They're like driving through the country. And uh, it's Jenny driving the car, and Red Brown's like in the front with her. And Jenny makes some comment like, "Oh, I think we passed this place before," <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. And Red Brown's Red Brown's like, "Well, that's because you're driving." <laughs> you know. Oh God, it's just really being a di- just being a dickhead like he is throughout the whole movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then after he says that, like they both start laughing simultaneously, and then right after that, it cuts to Christopher Lee in the back seat. And I don't know if you remember, but he's got this look on his face like. God, someone fucking shoot me! Yeah, yeah. that's that's <laughs> with the, the titanium bullet. See what you didn't know is they actually got on screen the moment when he decided he was going to apologize to Joe Dante. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's probably the same look he had like after he saw the final product. You know, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but what's so funny about that scene is Christopher Lee's expression because, like, you know, he's a very like. He's not he's not a very animate person in this movie. He walks really slowly. Oh yeah. And uh you know, during the scene he just he's just kinda sitting there like really still and his eyes just close like really slowly. <laughs> it's it's like he's just fucking like, fuck, I'm I'm tired of this shit, you know. Yeah, what did I get myself into? And then at one point he actually gets fed up and walks away, like when they when they pull over and there's like the woman that got hit by the car, you know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I won't. I won't say what happens in that scene, but you know, is that is that the bad jump scare we were talking about? Does that pay off with the bad jump scare, or is that another bad no, jump? No, I, I was thinking. Of, I was thinking of something else. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's but, one. Um, that's one of them, though. Oh, okay, I didn't even notice. <laughs> was it supposed to be a jump scare? Well, after they get back in the car. Oh, okay. I remember that. Well, I'll just say it. They're, I don't know if it's. Do you think it's a spoiler to say it when they get back in the car and all of a sudden there's a? I don't think so. I don't think so. Oh, that one, yeah. It yeah, makes no yeah. sense. It's like all of a sudden there's a there's a Bigfoot in the back seat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like there's how did that thing get in there, you know? And how did they not notice it? The thing's like six feet it's it's huge. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. It, it was really bizarre. It's like it's like it's it's so big, like its neck is bent because it's you know yeah, its head in, is touching the ceiling. They're in like a little European car, you know, so whatever. Yeah. But it's just so funny, like, after the, you know, they pull over and they see, you know, this character that got hit by a car, Christopher Lee just doesn't say anything. He just starts walking away, and they're like, where are you going? He's like, I'll meet you in the village. Yeah. I'll meet you at the hotel. Yeah. yeah. I've, had, I've, I've had enough of you two fucking goofballs. <laughs> yeah, that's what he's really wanting to say. <laughs> yeah, speaking of the hotel, we get the worst setup ever for a romantic interlude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, eventually, this isn't really a spoiler. You know, it's not a big surprise or anything. But uh, Red Brown and uh, the chick Jenny, they eventually hook up. But it's so weird. Like, there's no, there's really no signs, like evident signs of it. Like beforehand, like they're kind of oh. digging each other. Oh yeah, it's totally. It comes out of nowhere. She just basically says, "Hold me," 
Yeah, exactly. And, She's like, can you hold me? And Red Brown's like, okay. And then he sits there, sits next to her. They're like hugging really awkwardly. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's like banging her up against the wall. Yeah, but that's Reb, baby. I mean, he's like Barry Sanders. All he needs is a sliver of daylight, and he's in. It's a home. It's a touchdown. True that, true that, true yeah, that. Understood, understood. Uh, speaking of sex scenes, we get a werewolf threesome. Love it. Yes. Love it. Uh, Apparently the threesome doesn't consist the werewolf threesome doesn't compi- consist of uh, intercourse. There's <laughs> of- just lots of scratching and dry humping and snorting like a pig. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, yeah, lots of heavy petting and my so. thoughts are if you watch that scene closely, my thoughts are, you know, what kind of direction could possibly have been given in those moments? <laughs> you know? All right, yeah, Sybil, you- I need you to look at this she rolls her eyes in that scene about sixteen times. Like she's like in ecstasy, but there's like no way there's nobody even hardly touching. And I think that the reason why they couldn't touch each other is probably because the hair would have came off. <laughs> well, the hair would come off. The latex is probably too stiff. So they had to just kind of almost like you're rolling down a hill, like do that movement and just kind of like Aaron said, snort like a pig along the way. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That scene was to sex what synchronized swimming is to swimming. <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. That's true. It's just so fucking weird. It's like this, you know, avant garde performance art, you know. Yeah. Shit. Um, <laughs> anyway, moving on. Uh, about halfway into the movie, we get my favorite line in the entire movie, which is, "Do you see that dwarf staring at us? Should we, should we follow him? Yeah. <laughs> Why not? No. Yeah, the dwarf. Yeah. Well, he does. Um, he does tell him to come hither. You know, he is waving. though. should we follow him? Like, yeah, I guess so. He's telling us to come this way. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Why not? You know. Uh, let's see. Oh, the same punk club from LA somehow turns up in Transylvania. Somehow, I, I, I don't know if I don't know if that was a snafu in editing. I don't know what was going on there. It's just it's it's really messed up though. It's bad filmmaking is what it is. Yeah, and during this scene, I don't know if they're just kind of like you know, put these like overlap these scenes on top of each other, and they're kind of using the um, you know, the club scene as like you know just filler, I guess. But during the scene, um, Sturba, Sybil Danning, she's overseeing an orgy. Oh, yeah. Which, yeah. <laughs> again, lots of dry humping. <laughs> There's some dude in the background doing handstand push-ups. <laughs> did you guys notice that? Yes. No, I, I did. didn't. I did notice that. I have to admit, this is <laughs> the last orgy we watched. I can't remember what film it was, but we, it was a really bad orgy. This was a better orgy than that, but not by much. Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you, man. The only thing that would have would have been the cherry on top of this if there had have been, as always, an oiled saxophone player. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in there. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, real quick before I forget, I'm, I'm done with my notes, but I just want to mention something. Uh, uh, Zom was telling me on Facebook earlier that um, Stubble Danning's husband was on set and he like beat the shit out of her a few times, like you know, behind the scenes and stuff. And there's a scene where towards the end she's wearing like this really big like you know ridiculous glasses oh yeah and uh, apparently it was to cover up a black guy like i don't know i did some i did some you know looking around i couldn't find anything uh i'm not doubting you know zom's story maybe i was looking in the wrong place but um i did kind of notice in one scene like you know it was actually the scene where she rips her shirt off that was used in the end credits mm-hmm. oh like, yeah like the right side of her face was looking kind of puffy and they put a lot of makeup on it yep mm-hmm yeah, it, it's quite possible. I've heard, I've read the same uh, kind of stories Zom's talking about and stuff, and it's uh, it's quite possible that was going on. You know, she unfortunately yeah. had some bad hookups in her lifetime. 
Yeah, and he was also, right. I think he was a producer on this film. He was also a real pain in the ass to everybody on the film. Like, everybody on the film hated the guy. Hopefully he yeah. didn't do work much. Yeah, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. But, uh, oh, and, uh, and, and one more thing, sorry. Oh, it's okay. Uh, is this, I found this earlier when I was, you know, trying to find this story about, you know, Sybil Danning's husband, you know, beating her up or whatever. But unlike Christopher Lee, she actually still does champion this movie and she, you know, she promotes it. She went to screaming uh, screening at a you know when they screened it uh, at Alamo for Terror Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I read some interviews with her and she's like really stoked on the movie, which kind of surprised me, you know, like. Well, in that way, you got to think about Sybil Denning's career and some of the films she's been in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she's been in some real garbage, and this is not even close to the worst film she's been in. Oh no, this is not even nearly the worst film she's been in, and, and actually, she's pretty good in this film for what it is and for what a performance yeah. is. So. Yeah, anyway, I'm done. All right, uh, I'll jump into my bits, and then we'll let you finish off and be the closer, so to speak. Um, let me just say, uh, I do love the opening of this film, this bizarre pop and montage setup of, you know, this this 80s disco pop punk stuff, and, you know, they set up everything in that the montage in the beginning. I really like that, you know, a lot of establishment shots. Uh, Red Brown sitting in the pew. I mean, he's the tallest guy in the church. Is he sitting on a booster seat or something, man? <laughs> that guy's, like, huge, man. Jesus. <laughs> Never seen such a big dude in a church, man. That's, uh, uh, that's the rep for you, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of my notes here was, if the howling is werewolves done right, this film is everything that's wrong in some ways. Because I, I, I have to, I, I, you know, there's, to me, there's hardly any wolves in this. To me, it's more like hybrids, like in betweeners, yeah. in betweeners of some sort and stuff. And so, you know, the makeup and stuff, you know, you could tell they didn't have a lot of money, and so they kind of cut away from makeups really quick. And it's probably a good thing that they did because some of them, I swear, look like gorilla costumes. They might have. I mean, I think yeah, Kevin Yeager did the effects in this. He's a decent uh, effects guy, certainly. Oh, um, he's, yeah, he's a great effects guy, actually. I, I like a lot of his stuff. Yeah, he's he's been around, God, for probably 30 years now. Um, I don't know how involved he is nowadays in this digital age, but yeah, right through a lot of my formative years, his name popped up a lot. Um, I don't know, man. I like, I, again, I think I like the effects more than you guys. Again, I think they're smart that they cut away because they didn't have the money to pull off a full-blown transformation. But uh, a lot of the stuff I thought looked okay. I mean, let, lest we forget the Pomeranian in the last film. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. Right, so. it's, it's not flawless in the first one either. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Uh, well, we uh, you know we go about 20 minutes into the film, and uh, a true Canadian tuxedo pops up. Oh, yeah. Blue jean jacket, blue jeans, cowboy <laughs> boots, red brown, representing. He does represent, and he represents through the whole film. He takes... The uh, traveling tuxedo show on the road, all the way to the Eastern Bloc. Yeah, he's he's pretty, you know, he's pretty, he's clumsy in the movie in a lot of ways. Uh, but I'll have to say this: here's my note: Red Brown, cinematic stud, original Captain America, your, but also cinema's worst bad parallel Parker. <laughs> he at one point pulls a truck up right up against a tree, and I know it's yeah. supposed to be to light the entrance to the uh, the graveyard they're going into, but it's already so well lit; it's like it doesn't make any sense, you know. Like, stay on the fucking road, Red. Jesus. Uh, and he also, you know, if he's such a good old boy, he doesn't even know what a wolf sounds like. There's at one point where a wolf howls, and he's like, I don't know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't sound like anything I've ever heard. And I'm like, you're a sheriff from Montana. How can it not sound like a wolf to you, motherfucker? Yeah, they, they lose. I think they waste Reb a little bit here. Like, he doesn't get to do a lot, I find. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's definitely... Uh, eye candy i guess maybe for like the the female set maybe because you know where the the male candy is as far as uh well i don't know that all sounds kind of wrong <laughs> but anyway he uh you know he's you know he's a good looking dude he's a big dude you know and 
again, I've always said, you know, he is Captain America to me because that's who I grew up thinking was Captain America because he was in a Captain America TV movie. And, uh, you know, he's just, you know, he, he, he's, he's a very likable guy. He's, he's charismatic and stuff. He's not the world's greatest actor. I know that. But he's a, just a very likable dude. And uh, oh, unfortunately, though, they give him some bad moments in this. The, the, the fake-out scare they give him in the hotel at one point, it may be some of the worst acting I've ever seen, where he says, boo, hiya, honey. Yeah. <laughs> That's the one I was talking about. Oh, that is so bad. I felt so bad for him. <laughs> yeah. I have to ask this question. Uh, was that the, the two, was that the, uh, the two gentlemen from the GGTMC walking down the road that got picked up for food? Because <laughs> one, one of them had a half shirt on, yeah. and the other one was singing a German folk song. So that sounds like me and Will on a Saturday night. So that's it, man. <laughs> so you know, I really like that moment. Uh, okay, we talked about the uh, three way uh, that that thing with Red Brown. I'm going through here, looking through my notes, kind of cutting and weaving. Dyson. Um, I, I do feel bad for even though they're some of my favorite moments of the movie I feel bad for the actors when they're not wearing makeup and they decide to make them run around and hiss and act like werewolves with no makeup on there's scenes where like Sturba will send her, her minions out and they don't have any makeup on or anything they're just wearing like you know buck, buccaneers clothing and all kinds of shit like that <laughs> and they just take off this, this, I, I think I think Will I think Will's changing into a werewolf oh, okay hang on buddy hang on <laughs> Did you change me? <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, Will, is that is that you changing into a werewolf over there, brother? I don't know if you can hear me yet. I don't know if you can hear me yet. Will, can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We thought maybe you know all that noise is there. We thought you maybe you were transform transforming into a werewolf, man. Uh, I was turning into a Sasquatch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I got uh, my little Pomeranian in the room with me. Nice. Say um, hi, William. Hi. Say hi, Aaron. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> hi. Say hi, Sam. Hi, Sam. Hey there, William. Um, you know, when you watch these movies, uh, you know, if you're lucky, some of, sometimes you get the Wild Bunch. But for we, for us, we get the chess club that goes out and fights the werewolves. Uh, yeah. You know, you get like, you know, four old guys sitting around sharpening knives. Uh, you know, that's supposed to be your wild bunch scene, but it just felt like, you know, the guys at the park just got some, uh, like, wavy knives, which I always, hey, am I the only one that thinks those wavy looking knives are kind of goofy looking? I agree. They don't seem very practical and they seem <laughs> fragile. Yeah. <laughs> I never like those things, you know. I, like, I've, I've watched some barbarian movies and, and sword and sandal movies where if a hero has a wavy sword, I'll actually turn it off. Because I just like. Anti wavy sword. I'm anti wavy sword, big time, man. Uh, there's some bad editing choices in the film. The wipes in particular, like somebody saw Star Wars way too many times. Yeah. You know, it's like there's like, the diamond, the diamond wipe. Oh yeah, the diamond wipe. Oh yeah, yeah. And there's the butt wipe. But yeah. you know, there's all kinds of stuff like that. <laughs> uh, all I really, Aaron went through a lot of the stuff I was going to go through. But the only other thing I can really say, man, I mean, how bizarre is that trick or treat thing toward the back end of the film? Yeah, that's really weird. I mean, this movie is a total WTF. I don't want to say it out loud because little Williams in the room, and I know you might have me on the speakers. Thank you, thank you, I do. This movie is a total WTF, but after that, it's like a WTF on top of a WTF. It's like, what, what, what is going on? What am I watching? And why do we have a comedy routine at the back end? I don't know, I don't want to find out. <laughs> Howling. You know, it's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> I'm sorry, sorry about that, Will. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so it slipped anyway. <laughs> Apologies. I didn't uh, even notice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, uh, but that's all my notes. Will, if you want to go ahead and finish her okay, off. Okay, I'll, I'll, Bye! 
No, no, we're not done. No, we're not done. We got to say a few things. I like the wrinkle of titanium. Uh, again, it kind of maybe seems forced, but I think they made the effort to add a little bit to the mythology here. Of you know, mm-hmm. forget what you know. There's there's more I to it. No hand. Yeah, you have no hand there. I know. Um, <laughs> I, you know, admittedly, you guys again covered a lot of stuff, and we're pinched, pinched, pinched for time. Uh, Lee does class things up and. I know he loathes the film, and I do think that's a shame because he's done some other turds in his career too. And I think um, you know he certainly adds credibility to it. And you know, uh, I don't know, man. I mean, he's good in the film. I don't think he's anything to be embarrassed about. Everyone's got to work and make some money. And you know, again, I just it's baffling to me that okay, is this a great film? No, but it certainly has. Uh, it's certainly better than a lot of films uh, I've seen. So, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, I, I said this on Twitter last night. I can think I can trace my love of. A bad cinema, quote unquote, to this movie. I used to watch this movie all the time on cable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly, Will William. That's exactly my, my point, too. <laughs> you know what? Uh, the African American uh, werewolf in this, you know, I had to wonder what came out first, this or Vamp? And this came out first. I wonder if her character was at all uh, an inspiration for Vamp, for Grace, the Grace Jones character. Yeah, maybe. It's, it's similar in some ways. Um,. I really like, although I feel bad for the old woman, as we said, the Serbo rejuvenation scene. Um, it's a great setting. It's creepy. It's uncomfortable because of the S&M and so forth. Uh, but I really like that scene. Um, I liked all that stuff. You know, I love, we, we talked about the werewolf three-way. Uh, it's sleazy and ridiculous, which is fine. Um, fur pelts seem to go against the spirit of being an animal. <laughs> yes, wearing fur pelts. You know. That's like us wearing skin masks. <laughs> He's ready to edit this show, man. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hang on, William. Hang on, buddy. You can say adios in a minute. Uh, I love Sybil Danning's outfit, and uh, I got to say, her it's outfit. My show. That's no, mommy doesn't have a show. She wishes she did. No, so she can all the bad stuff daddy makes her watch. Um, she, her outfit would, looks like it would be more at home on Auntie Entity, though, in, in uh, like the Tina, I was going to say Tina Yothers. Wow. The Tina Turner oh, wow. character in. Uh, in Mad Max 3. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's really what it looks like. more. But I like her outfits, man. I think they're great. Um, we get exploding little person eyeballs. Um, Serpa has this Shonuff slash Palpatine vibe where she's got this red lightning that comes from her fingers. <laughs> and and Lee, Lee also has the glow and sort of the psychic power they share. And I got to say, did anyone else get the vibe at times in the castle that this looks like, you know, this video... Really looks like Ronnie James Dio could have showed up at any point and started singing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I totally expected to come in like fist clenched in front, like just wailing with a wavy sword. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, let's see. Here's the litmus test. William, is she? Do you think she's pretty? No. That's simple, Danning. You don't think she's pretty? No. Okay. Uh, so much for that. Um, I really like the end credits. A loaf, or not loaf, um, Neck had said that the images of her tearing her top off ten times to that kind of lukewarm, well, not lukewarm, but that that, <laughs> that theme that makes us love it. Um, it should be in the Museum of, of Moving Images, and I yeah. agree with it's actually It's actually eight, 18 times. 18, good stuff. Wow. Good stuff. So those are all my notes, so I'll kick it over to you guys. Okay. All right, I got, I got the little one in my lap too now, so now we got all kinds of kids on the show. Nice. You have a pet, Aaron. You can uh, sit on your lap for. Uh... Uh, no, no, I don't. Not to say obviously our children treat them as pets, but I know, as far as I know, you don't have any children, so. Negative. Yeah. So there we have it. 
All right, so do you want me to just go over my make or breaks real quick? Or? Yeah, sure. Oh, wait, you guys were done, right? Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, real quick, uh, my make or break is seeing Will talked about. It's hang actually... Hang on, hang on. Yo. Oh, hang on, Aaron's talking right now, William. Hang on. <laughs> it's actually uh, Sturbo's resurrection scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, as weird as the movie is up until that point, that's the first scene I saw where I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be some crazy stuff. Oh, totally. Uh, just based on, you know, the, you know that chicks and SM gear and stuff like that. Um, I, I actually almost gave my make or break to the end credits, but that would have been kind of ridiculous. <laughs> uh, my MVT is the theme song. I love the theme song. Oh, nice. Uh, I nice. don't know. It's just really catchy, like, you know, cheesy 80s, you know, epic new wave stuff. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and my... My score is a six. Uh, I can't really justify giving it any more than that. That's being generous. Um, it is enjoyable, but it, I had issues with the pacing. Like once they got to Transylvania, like it was just—it just felt like it was meandering too much. I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm alone in that. But. No, 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 no. You're not. You're not. Sorry. We we both have children now, so we're both kind of a little yeah. distracted. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Off you go. But, yeah, I'm done. All right, um, my make or break is going to be the werewolf threesome. Uh, nice. It would also have been easy to go with the end credits because it's amazing. Uh, <laughs> as I said on Twitter yesterday, best ending credit sequence ever. I mean, it's just easily, you know, especially if you're a male, it's just ridiculously the best one ever. Uh, but that would be easy and kind of weird, so I'm going to go with the threesome because it's just so bizarre. It's so weird. And, and, and sorry, Sammy, to get cut off because I, that's not my make, although it could be. Is yeah, how, how much did people fall in love with like the stutter cut editing of, uh, in the 80s? Yeah, oh, they fell in love with it big time. Everybody did. It's it's similar to the uh, you know way filmmakers all fall in love with everything you know it's you know, walking away from explosions which you know yeah where like they that. don't flinch yeah stuff like that I got a my son here's messing with my iPhone but he got a feeling he's going to delete like everything I have on it oh yeah <laughs> there he goes <laughs> sounds like your man <laughs> yeah uh, my MVT I'm going to go with Danning on this one uh, because you know I, I like that she's proud of the movie. Mm-hmm. Even though you know most people in the right mind might not be, that's okay. I'm, 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 I'm fine with the fact that she's proud of it. And my score is a little bit higher than Aaron's. It's seven out of ten. I nice. like it. It's not a, it's not a masterpiece. But if you like this kind of cinema, I think it's totally a seven out of ten. Very nice. Uh, my make or break are the sleazy werewolf scenes, the three way, and then the the resurrection scene of, of Serba. Uh, nice, nice. I just, I dug it, man. I don't know that stuff really worked for me. And uh, my MVT is this. You know, I think Lee's great in it, and I think Danning's great in it, and, I, and I, my MVT is just their adversarial relationship in the film, because I wanted to have my cake and eat it too and give it to both. Um, yeah, we should mention, uh, talk about a burn stunt that could have went terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a burn stunt like that before. I think it's the only no. film I've ever seen that. Yeah, it's true. It's very true. Uh, my score for the film is, is in between your guys. It's a 6.5 out of 10. I, I'll be, again, I've said it a few times. I don't think this one is that much worse than the original, man, Like as far as how much I enjoy it. Um, because ultimately, that's what it comes down to with films, I think, a lot of times, is how much you enjoy it. And this thing gets bagged on way too much for, you know, is it cheesy and sponsored? Sure, but it's an enjoyable B-movie from the 80s about werewolves. You can do a lot worse. Because this thing isn't boring, for the most part. It's It's entertaining. There's a lot of crazy zany stuff going on which you know if it was boring it'd be a crime 
<laughs> exactly. All right, so that's I got my my son's grabbing my earphones. He's he's uh, transfixed by me. Can't figure out what they are. All right, all right uh, that's our thoughts on the howling too. We're gonna take a short break. Knock out a little bit of feedback. Warn you now, not all of it. We don't have time, but a little bit of it. Oh, and uh, and uh, you know, we'll do the show. <laughs> so we'll be back right after this. Are you still looking for that special someone? Have other dating websites let you down? Hi, I'm Craig Fritz Rualdo, host of LoveFinder.com, telling you to listen to ShowShow at ShowShow.Podomatic.com. Too many websites all in one sentence? You betcha. But ShowShow is a podcast about movies for people like you who don't know what love is. Listen to ShowShow every week at ShowShow.Podomatic.com or search ShowShow, all one word, in the iTunes store. Glenn Danzig there. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's good, man. Yes, the evil Elvis. Yes. All right. Uh, so we got. What was it? I was gonna make. I was gonna make actually a, a little person joke because he's short, but I won't. It's, yeah. doesn't, Glenn's too cool to be mocked by me. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we uh, we got a few voicemails. We're gonna knock out a few guys. If you did call in and we don't get to it today, uh, we apologize. But you know, last week we had a situation. This week we're running out of time. We will I had get to do a milk run that cut into our time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We had he had to go out and squeeze some milk cans. So those yeah, of you who listen to the show, you know what that means. Well, let me do this on the air. Let me do this on the air, <laughs> Teresa. Oh. <laughs> I have to ask you something that's come up oh on our Lord. show, and I've been instructed or politely request to ask you. What? If what? I said to you on the, uh, like, if I said to you when we were somewhere, I said, baby, nice milk jug, no, milk cans, what would your thoughts be? What do you think it would be? Is that, is that an attractive term to use? No. Okay, the reason I ask, it wasn't specifically directed. Is this on at, air? It is on air. This wasn't specifically directed at you. Uh, but someone, it was in a movie we watched uh, one mm. week, and they said the word milk cans, and we said it's not a very enticing term for women to call them milk cans. No. And now my son thinks he's uh, a gymnast from Jim Cata crawling all over me. Um, nice, nice. Okay. So you guys honestly believe that something like that we was didn't. a, a no. term of endearment? No, not no. a term of endearment. We just wanted to see how bad it was. That's <laughs> Yeah, it's not. Here, let me ask Tara. Okay, we're getting. Tara, do you want to go on his show? <laughs> okay, okay. make. Okay, okay. We gotta, here. Tara, if Sammy said to you, Tara, nice milk cans, what would you say? I don't know, I'd probably just laugh. Yeah, but it's not offensive, it's just whatever, not attractive. It's not offensive at all, no. Okay, cool, cool. Okay, hope you're feeling better, Tara. Hello? Okay, watch nice. the babies right there. Nice milk cans. Uh, Sorry. All right. Hey, buddy, it's okay. Like a, a son doesn't like us talking about the milk cans because that's his sustenance. That's right, man. Right. He said, don't talk smack about those milk cans. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, okay, so let's get some voice. Let me see if I can actually get some voicemails up while I have him in my lap. This is going to be interesting. Let's see here. We got this one. I don't even know who this one's from because he didn't want to give his name. So we'll we'll, uh, we'll go with this one here first. Here we go. <laughs> 
Mr. Willie, Mr. Samurai. Um, love the show and uh, the topic of sexual perversion and addictions and fetishes. For the sake of that, I'll just remain anonymous. But um, interestingly enough, I think that um, I did take a couple classes in that. I've read a couple books on it, not because I'm a fetishist, but the topic fascinates me too. And um, I think there needs to be a clear delineation between a fetish that comes from an introvert versus an extrovert. Um, fetishes are typically classified as something where people need an, um, a, a, some source of attention that they got when they were younger that pretty much made them feel uh, needed or wanted. Whereas exhibitionists or extroverts um, in a similar capacity were rewarded for a behavior that they gave to somebody else. And through growing up and developing your sexual identity, those two things kind of coalesce into some sort of fetish that represents that time in your life. Um, versus something that's just a kink. You know, I kind of like having my balls gently nibbled by my lady's teeth. Not hard, but you <laughs> there know, it's not a fetish. That's just a kink. But um, I do know that there are clubs out there. The office I work at happens to be next to a, a, a fetish club. I don't work at a fetish club. I, I, I work at a video production company, and it just happens to be in the red light district of Las Vegas. And I see all kinds of stuff late nights when I leave and go home and there are people getting into their cars um, obviously leather is a big one um, for some reason uh, I think the the biggest shock to me is that clubs and businesses exploit these sort of behaviors where people at some point end up paying money to do something they could probably do at home for free if they just knew how to connect with people on the internet that were like minded Anyways, I hope that's uh, juicy enough for you to get your own on a discussion. But I uh, love the show, and um, maybe next time I call, I'll actually talk about a movie. All right, bye, guys. All right. So, we appreciate that. Uh, interesting. Interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I don't really know what else to add to that. Uh, the fetish talk. Uh, we got some nice hits on the fetish talk. <laughs> I think it was great, man, that he uh, he chimed in, and I hope he does chime in. Um, another point to talk about films. It was great because we wanted someone to, and I'm glad someone did. And it was great that he had a little bit of a background uh, from a scholarly standpoint as far as that stuff went. So, mm-hmm. so thank you. Yes, Aaron. Any fetishes, buddy? You want to you want to share anything? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, no. I'm cool. You like okay. werewolf women? <laughs> well, yeah, but who doesn't? Yeah, it's true. True. It's true. Christopher Lee doesn't. <laughs> Although. I have to admit, I, I know somebody with a hairier back than the, those werewolves. <laughs> a woman? No, no, a male dude. It's a dude. <laughs> I was gonna say that's disgusting, man. It's still pretty disgusting because you can just like, like in the summer, you can just see the sweat drops beating up on the hair, and they just drip off. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, disgusting. Anyway, uh, all right. So Zom sent in a new song. Uh, so this is five minutes of a pure unadulterated Zom, uh, and we're gonna give it to you. So uh, here we go. This is Dr. Zom. Actually, uh, wrong, wrong Zom. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Let me see if I can find... Zom, <laughs> wrong voicemail. Right, right Zom, wrong voicemail. Maybe we'll play that one in a few minutes. Let's play another one instead. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, Zom, that was another voicemail. I labeled it wrong because I'm a douche. All right, here we go. Uh, let's try this one first, and then we'll go with another one. Hey, guys. It's Scott calling from Toronto. Uh, first off, I wanted to thank Rick a lot. He uh, publicly thanked him. Helped me out when I uh, thought I had lost about a half hour of audio. 
for a recent show we did on 28 uh, Days Later, and he was very gracious, I think, from work at the very last minute at nighttime, uh, helped me down from the ledge and uh, helped me recover those files. So thanks very much. Now I know how to do it. Hopefully it never happens again. Uh, also want to just touch on a few movies I'd seen recently that, that might be of interest to you, or, or you've seen them. First off is a 73 Italian movie called Revolver. Uh, with, with Oliver Reed, um, I'm guessing you've both seen this, but I must say I was very, very impressed with this one. Really, really liked the storyline. Pretty complex. And uh, I'm shocked that it hasn't uh, been co-opted by Hollywood in recent years. Uh, Reed is terrific in it, and uh, Fabio Testi's in it as well. Really, really good stuff. I got it as part of one of these you know, five films uh, on two discs uh, in the dump-in for $5 type deals. It was a so-so print, not the best, not the worst, but uh, just that one film was worth the five bucks itself. Next, I saw a movie on TCM Underground I've been wanting to see for like 10, 15 years called The Super Cops. I think it's from 74, 75, put out by MGM. I was only aware of this because it uh, was a comic book around the same time uh, in, in, from an imprint put out by Archie called Red Circle Comics, uh, and it's called The Super Cops. And I'd read this comic book, I heard there was a movie, and could never find it anywhere. I understand it used to play on HBO all the time, but uh, never got north of the border. Uh, I don't think it's ever been on DVD. It's a pretty fun flick. Like, it's uh, a weird cross between, like, Serpico and the Keystone Cops. It's very entertaining. It almost comes across like, uh, like a pilot for some 80s cop buddy, buddy show. I don't know if it's ever coming out on DVD or whatnot, but if you like to see a little bit of Bed-Stuy in the 70s, it's there, and it's all, all the actions. A little toned down, a bit more child-friendly. Finally, tried to support the Canadian film industry going out to theaters uh, for a screening of a film called The Mountie. It's supposed to be some sort of throwback. Happy to see people making westerns. Uh, this one is okay. Probably never going to play anywhere in the States. It's only on a single screen here in uh, Toronto. So I was there for a midday screening. And there were, you know, 24, 25 people in there, which surprised me because that was, you know, 22, 23 more people than I had expected. Again, a so-so movie. Uh, really pretty, pretty lazy script. Totally rudderless. I like the lead. Can't remember his name at all. Andrew something, rather. He does kind of a young Clint Eastwood as a Mountie thing. It works okay. Some of the landscape shots are great, uh, so it looks good in spots. But all the closed quarter stuff, the tight action, the dialogue, oi, really quite bad. And there's a girl in it, I can't remember her name now. She's basically the Canadian version of Liv Tyler. Not very good. She's got a scar where the makeup is just terrible. So, try to support the Canadian independent scene, but I come away feeling like... It sort of needs to marinate a bit longer. So the Mountie, you may want to check it out if you've got a, a you know a Mountie fetish. Otherwise, not so sure. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's it. Otherwise, just been loving the show. Hopefully, you're both having good summers, and I will speak to you soon. All right. That was Scott from Merriwood Clickers and Toronto. Uh, talking a little bit about um, Mountie fetishes and uh, <laughs> and uh, Revolver. Have you seen Revolver? You guys seen Revolver? Oh, yeah, I own the Blue Underground disc. No, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I think it's a bit long. Uh, Reed's good in it. Uh, he wears like a fur vest. Speaking of fur vests. Yes. 
Um, or maybe Testy does. I think well, maybe Reed does. It, it's good. I think it's a little long, though. Salima put it out. So yeah, it's definitely a solid yeah, one. I like it, too. Uh, yeah, but I agree with you totally. It's a little long. Mm-hmm. Like so, those longer Euro crime films can sometimes be a bit of a chore. Yeah, I think it's about almost two hours. Um, mm-hmm. It's good though. Running. It is good it though. Is good certainly. It's just when they get that stuff where they're wandering around like the Swiss Alps in the snow and stuff. Yes. It, uh, it, it seems a bit long. Let me just take a look here. It's uh, 110 minutes, so it's about 15 minutes too long, probably. Yeah. Never seen Super Cops, so I don't know. Great title. Never seen it though. Uh, that's the one I just watched. Oh, is that the one you just I said watched? That Scott watched. Yeah. Oh, okay. I never saw it. Yeah. Never saw it. Decent, a bit rudderless. I think, like he said, I felt the same way. Totally right. So this should be the Zom song. This should be. So this is our last piece of feedback for the week. So this hey, real quick, I'm going to step away for like 10 seconds. Just go ahead with the voicemail, though. I'll be right back. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah. All right. He's stepping away. Here goes the Zom. Here we go. Hopefully. Yep, here we are. some beer one day and he stubbed his big toe it's going back the nail was torn and bloody and sammy let out a scream nail trauma was his weakness <laughs> and he ran down past his knee <laughs> beow, beow, yeah <laughs> beow, beow. bing 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 were famous <laughs> they were tough and manly boobs his nipples were maple faucets and his denim suit was blue he liked his morning cereal and he ate it on the air in his yellow bathrobe his ball stuck to his chair <laughs> How does he know so much? It's amazing. They've got three kids and get no sleep, but still put on a show. They work and watch shitloads of films, even some that star. Michael Keaton <laughs> Gung Ho <laughs> This may sound disgraceful but I really love these two This homoerotic tag team <laughs> They really have no clue <laughs> And their talk of tits and silver Alone and coughing, Joe. Make me want to touch myself and watch some Godfrey Ho. I'm on Google Plus. I don't know why. Is Facebook not enough? I post 
my clips of Neil Diamond and Jessica Beals butt. <laughs> Sammy and Willie, they have a little show. They entertain their friends and fans, and they share a little blow. Oh, yeah. Off the breast of handsome Tranny. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. In a hotel in Toronto. <laughs> Sammy, Willie, and Lady Boys. And Sammy's mangled toe. <laughs> I love that the song has a bit of a narrative to it. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> All right, so not really a lot of comments need to be made there. Another awesome masterpiece from Zom. That's our show. Large William, pleasantries, goodbyes. Yes. And, and I'm getting my earphones tore off by an infant. Yeah, so we'll make it uh, as quick as we can here. Horror Hunt's coming up. Book your rooms, book your flights, rent your cars, whatever you got to do. Show Show, OTC, all our friends at Palaver.com. Check out Hammockus, which I should be on next week. Uh, Cine Awesome, which you're going to be on this week, Sammy? Uh, Yes, yes, I actually am. Excellent. Paleo Cinema, uh, Married with Clickers, Action Attraction, Better in the Dark, V Cinema, Podcast that Honor and Humanity, and the Criterion Cast. Check out Parasimma.net, NightmareTheater.blip.tv, WeAreYoungMonster.com. For blogs, of course, the GGTMC. These are all .blogspot.com until I tell you otherwise. Whipper Pupkin Speaks, uh, Deadly Doll's House, Chuck Norris at My Baby, Fist of B-List, Playground of Doom, Scared Shiftless and Shasta, Moon in the Gutter, Wax Mask. Then these are not .blogspot. This is DeathRattle.net, where you can hear Aaron, our man, uh, wax on about other films that he's not talking about on the GGTMC. Yes. Um... TheLightningBugsLayer.com and CinemaSatori.wordpress.com. Check out our friends and uh, colleagues, DiabolicDVD.com, uh, CDB, Cinema-DE-Bazaar, promo code GENTLEMAN for 10% off your orders, OMG-Entertainment.com, GGTMC10 for 10% off your orders, and of course the Mighty Camera Obscura. Friend us all on Facebook. Uh, I guess there's Google+, Plus, which I don't know enough about yet to really... <laughs> To talk, talk on. I mean, you know, I'm in it and people are out of me, but I don't know what the hell is going on. So, uh, twitter.com backslash GGTMC, Large William, Pickle Loaf 10, Bob Freelander, Uncool Cat, and still Aaron has no Twitter. Um, iTunes.com and a donate button should you wish to do so. And uh, that's it. Um, I do want to say sincerely, thank you very much to Aaron for all the hard work that goes into our website. Yes. Uh, and to posting it on social network uh, sites. I, I can't thank Aaron enough. Aaron, guys, is a big part of what we do. Um, he gave us credibility and, and a great aesthetic in terms of our website, and he does this all. He volunteered to do it, um, so I can't thank him enough on behalf of Sammy and I for that. No problem. My pleasure, guys. Yeah, it's, it's uh, really, really great to finally get you on the show, too, and uh, hopefully we'll get you back on uh, sometime soon. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we got we got to get you on for something else, man. We'll get you on uh, definitely, you know, We'll make a point to get you on every swath whenever the itch scratch. Whenever you want that itch scratched, uh, that can't be resolved by medication. Uh, give us a call and we'll <laughs> yes. we'll get you on here, man. Because we'd love to have you on. We love talking uh, feelings with a like-minded uh, gentleman. So um, that's it. Now, in terms of what we're going to cover next week, it's time for another Diabolic DVD uh, episode, and it's my turn to program Diabolic DVD. Um, we're going to cover two films, one of which I've seen and is probably one of my top ten favorite films of all time. Uh, we're going to cover the Criterion Blu-ray of Chungking Express, Wong Kar Wai's masterpiece. 
which Sammy hasn't seen, and I'm super excited to hear him uh, talk about. Have you seen it, Aaron? Um, a while ago, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's it's just fantastic. And the other one is one that um, very good friend Coffin John of V Cinema told me about when he was here for Shinsidai last year, which is ironic because I think their festival is going on this week or next week. It's um, Jen Takahashi's, or uh, excuse me, Jen Takahashi's searing indictment of the Japanese police. It is Confessions of a Dog put out by Third Window Films. So it's going to be a fantastic episode next week. Yes, indeed. I can't wait to do next week's episode. It's going to be awesome. Great. Almost as good as the Howling 2 Chunking Express, right? Yes. Okay, almost. Good. Almost. <laughs> almost. <laughs> All right. Uh, so that is the big show. Uh, again, I want to thank Aaron and thank everybody that listens and donates to the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, my son can't say adios yet, but he feels it. He's slamming my iPhone on the ground, and I'm getting nervous right now because... He, as you can hear, he has the potential to break it. He has that kind of strength. All right. Nice. Uh, uh, so with that, I'll say adios. 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 Deep one.